listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Good evening and welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, Fonz DeFalco. It's the Ides of May. Guys, welcome. How's it going, Tom? How are you? Doing pretty good. Kyle James, great to have you back uh, here. I was about to say in our own studios, but you can kind of say that. This is my studio. This is my studio. This is my home studio. Right here is my bed where I like to lie. This has been my studio for the past uh, couple of months now. <laughs> James, you still got the hats up in the background. Love to see it. Um, I do. <laughs> and uh, great to have the core four back here. This is Review and Preview on Facebook Live. We are live on OBS. Thank you guys so much for last week's show. The John Mundello Tribute Show went great. It was our most watched show ever. And we couldn't have done it without the fans, without you guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, we ended up towards the end of last week's show around 10 o'clock. We had about 437 views. And now we have nearly 1,250 views. Fantastic job, guys. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, everybody, so much. Uh, we've reached nearly 2,000 people. 17 shares, like I said, and the engagements were just fantastic. Shout out to the Mondello family. That show was in respect and honor of you guys last week, and we will continue to honor John Mondello in our thoughts and prayers. Thank you so much to the Mondello family and all of our Review and Preview fans. Um, also tonight, um, we will have an announcement at the end of the show. Fonz has a little uh, new kink for us that we're going to try out next week. We're going to try a new uh, broadcasting platform. We'll bring that up to you guys in just a couple of minutes. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. You can like and subscribe to our Facebook page here at Review and Preview LIU. And you can listen to our audio podcast, too, at anchor.fm slash review and preview. So if you missed the show, you can watch the rest of it here. If you want to hear our audio quality, great. You can do that as well. Quick uh, shout out to a, a couple of people. Our guest caller, Gabe Flayton, will be graduating from SUNY Albany tomorrow. Congratulations to Gabe. Uh, he just finished up his finals last night. We wish him the best. Also, a, former, a couple of former members of Review and Preview, Griffin Ward, our engineer, Congratulations to him. John Wasserman from a couple of years ago. James, I know you remember him. Kyle as well. Um, And Nick Bettina, congratulations to you as well and the rest of the guys over at WCWP out in Long Island. So, quick rundown of what our show is going to consist of tonight. As you can see, we have the graphic of every team in the NFC East outside of the Giants in our going live soon graphic. We hope you enjoyed that. Shout out to Kyle, Kyle Russo for making that as our graphic this week and uh that's his new uh, job <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> canva's a beautiful thing isn't it kyle gotta love it gotta love it gotta told love you guys it. thumbs up thank you Fonz. thank you for that recommendation um yeah so we're gonna talk about those four teams we're gonna talk about the kansas city chiefs we'll have paul lombardi chief super fan up on here in just a couple of moments after that we're gonna talk about the washington redskins then we're gonna have hoop group's very own kanan justiniano talk about the 
Dallas Cowboys and their draft, despite him being a Giants fan. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. And then after that, we're going to talk about some other sports news and recap the show. Uh, also, terrible news with the DeAndre Baker thing, which we'll talk about that later on. Uh, but very quickly, uh, Roger Goodell informed teams that they can reopen their facilities starting May 19th. So I believe that is on a Tuesday. Uh, there are still some protocols in place. Basically, what's going to happen is no more than 75 people in a building and no players or coaches allowed except those who are rehabilitating. Uh, it's good to see the NFL heading back in this direction, but it's also important for everybody to say, uh, to stay safe, safe and healthy during this difficult time. Thoughts about that guys. It'd be very interesting because this is really the, you know, first sport, you know, me and James, we were talking about it prior to the show, uh, NASCAR starting up, but the NFL is really, I think, I think the first organization, the first league to get back into opening their practice facilities. So they'll, kind of be the test dummies i know the nba is soon to be doing that i don't know if all teams have done that yet but the nfl will definitely be interesting uh with a capacity of uh 75 people in there you know uh, you'll hear news you know uh, throughout this period in time th- there had to have been some nfl players going about their lives i mean we talked we talked about some of them when coronavirus first broke out i believe there was a raiders player that had it as well you know some of these guys it, it'll probably be protocol that they'll have to be tested maybe every couple of weeks because, you know, they're still living about their daily lives, even though, they're, even though they're playing football, they're still living about their daily lives as the states in which they play and start to reopen up, you know, New York especially. Uh, New York is uh, one of the most heavily populated coronavirus victims uh, states. So it'll be very, very interesting for teams like the New York Jets and New York Giants to get back into the groove of things with so many people uh, all in one place. I couldn't agree with you more, Kyle. Fonz, you had an interesting opportunity this week on a uh, lighter note. You got to speak with ex-NFL fullback Chris Gronkowski, the older brother of now Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight end Rob Gronkowski. Tell us what that experience was like for you on your JDF podcast the other night. Yeah, it was awesome. We'd be able to speak to former NFL player Chris Gronkowski, now uh, creator of the Ice Shaker, his own little company that he has. Uh, he joined the Fitch Lounge on JDF, me, Kevin Fitzmorris, Justin Kearns, Alec Wall. Shout out to those guys. We were able to sit down and talk to Chris Kronkowski for about an hour and awesome stuff. He told a lot of uh, great stories of him and his brothers in college and them growing up. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out, definitely go to JDF and look at more. Probably, I think it's one of the more recent videos on there. Uh, also, if you listen to it on podcast, it's on JDF Sports also. But it was, a, it was awesome. Uh, great talking to him. Such a down-to-earth guy. And I asked him the most important question. Uh, I'm a big advocate of bringing back the fullback and how do we bring it back. And uh, he just said that fullbacks, uh, they want to use the tight end now as the fullback. And what he says is that the full, perfect fullback can do everything on special teams as well as being a good pass blocker, run blocker, and can catch and passes out of the backfield. So fullback's one of the more unique positions, but we don't really see it anymore. It's now more of the, the tight end spot. So he, I guess he kind of liked my question there. Yeah, I agree. I actually got to watch a little bit of your show. Um, I, I saw that question that you asked. I was very intrigued by it. Uh, the fullback is somewhat of a dying breed position. Uh, I know we remember a tight end in the NFL by the name of Chris Cooley. They had him as an H-back, which is kind of like what Red Ellison was for the Giants a couple of years ago. Um, teams are throwing the ball throwing the ball a lot more now, so we're not seeing um, that fullback position. Um Fons, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. So 
There are a couple of terms I heard on the show. Gronk up. What is that exactly? Is that just like a, is that just like a phrase that he uses, Chris? Or uh, what exactly is that? All the Gronk. Yeah, I think it's just kind of um, a, a phrase that he uses. Um, you know, actually with that whole Gronk thing, because they were originally going to do the idea of calling like the Gronk Shaker or like um, like have the name Gronk in it. But then he kind of decided to go away from it because, you know, at the time when he was on the Patriots, maybe a lot of Buffalo fans or Miami fans wouldn't buy a product that has Gronk on it or whatever. So it was kind of more like the Gronk up whatever kind of phrases they use back and forth. But at the time, it was considered one of those names for his product, like having something Gronk in it. But then he eventually kind of scrapped that idea. Right. Even though Gronk is, I believe, I I don't remember, he might have been a Bills fan growing up. Yeah, they all grew up uh, outside of Buffalo, New York. So, yeah. Uh, all five of them were, I guess, I guess they were Bills fans growing up when they were growing up in Williamsville. So Chris is the CEO or the owner of the Ice Shaker. Mm-hmm. Now explain to us what this product is and where people can find it. Well, uh, basically it's, it's a combination of like, you know, those bottles that are keep things cool for like 24 hours. These actually go up yep. to like 30 hours, sometimes a little bit more. And it's also a little bit of a shaker bottle too for like a post-workout. It has combines both. What I like about it a lot more than the traditional bottles like that is that it fits in cup holders. So it's kind of convenient for everything. You can use it outside of working out. Uh, you said you can mix certain drinks in it if you want in the summertime or just if you want to have like an iced tea and put like a lemon inside the little um, – like the, the – not the shake because they don't have the metal ball like in the shaker thing. It's kind of on top of the cap. So it's kind of – you know, it's a shaker bottle but like not really. So something like that if you want to make a, a different style of drink. Yeah, you can go on iceshaker.com basically and just – there's a bunch of collectors there, not just the traditional 26 ounces, like a 36 ounce. There's also a Pilsner one, too. If you want to have a beer in there, you want to keep it cold for uh, a long time. I actually just bought one a, a few days ago, so I'm looking forward Did to you? getting it. Yeah, oh, I had to. I had to. I might, I might have to look into this, Buns. Um Now, he told the story, you know, Gronk, I know you're a wrestling fan, and his little brother Rob was like the host of wrestlemania with the um and the performance center in or orlando and he always brings up the term party mm-hmm. like life for the party i know there are a couple of party stories there uh about chris and he seems like a very lively guy a very fun guy to be around let's talk about his career a little bit while we have a moment now um this wasn't the longest nfl career but chris made a good living out of it this is a guy who was a i believe it's a fourth round nfl draft prospect funds back in uh 2010 mm-hmm if I'm not mistaken. And he actually started his college career at Maryland. Yes. Uh, played with his other brother, Dan, mm-hmm. and then transferred to Arizona to play with the brother, Rob, who mm-hmm. of course we all know is Rob Gronkowski. Uh, made the Cowboys as an undrafted free agent, made the 53 man roster, defying a lot of odds. Um, and he actually scored a touchdown in his first career NFL start. Yeah. Uh, what was it like hearing from him about his thoughts and feelings on his like journey to the NFL? Not more like in the NFL, but his journey to there. What was that like? Well, uh, he it was interesting to see because he said that at first, like he wasn't sure if he was even like going to consider an NFL future. He kind of was just going to play just to enjoy, just to enjoy the game itself. But then when he got to senior year, when he heard rumblings that hey, he could be, you know, selected in the draft or maybe have a chance to even play in the NFL. He kind of buckled down and took it a lot more seriously from what he was talking about. And, yeah, it, it just wasn't a thing where he started right away and knew he was going to the NFL. He kind of had to wait until his senior year and was like, oh, I actually have somewhat of a shot to make it to the NFL, which I guess could be the case for a lot of players, too, because, you know, there's some that right away you think are NFL talents. But sometimes it takes a few years. But 
he seemed to have loved it. He also said that he was the originator of the Gronk spike because when he scored, his, he scored before his brother Rob. So he did the Gronk spike first. So we kind of wanted to let everybody know that he was the originator of the famous Gronk spike. That's very interesting. I did not know that. I know I caught that on the show, but before I watched that, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, Kyle and James, we know Gronk in a much different way. Uh, Chris Gronkowski, that is. He played for the Cowboys. He also played for three other teams, the Colts, the Denver Broncos, and I think he was an offseason member of the Chargers. Correct. Uh, but that was very brief. I know he's more known for being with the Cowboys, Colts, and Broncos. Um, I know... <laughs> I know he actually, uh, James uh, and Kyle, Kyle, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but you might be. Um, he missed a blitz pickup on Michael <laughs> Boley that ended Tony Romo's season back in 2011. And you have that little smirk on your face there um, back when the Giants actually had real linebackers. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I pretty much remember Chris Gronkowski for. But um, I know he had a fantastic NFL career and defying the odds fonts kind of playing like that underdog status, mm-hmm. not to mention, you know, a lot of guys coming in smaller guy. I mean, I know he's big, but compared to the other guys in the NFL and I hope Chris could eventually someday try to encourage younger people to play that fullback position. I think it would be very beneficial. Um, it's kind of similar to like the long snapper position. You don't have to be super skilled or talented. You have to just be good at doing one thing. And if you're really good at that one thing, you can make it. Yeah. And I think if you, do, if you devote yourself to it, you yeah. know, if you're a special teams player, you can run down the field, make some tackles. I mean, you can also be a solid fullback too. If you want to make, pick up some blocks. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I really like, um, I really like that interview. You guys did very well done. Uh, James and Kyle. Um, I know you guys have been sitting back there tight for a while. Um, we're actually going to do some trivia with you guys next week. Uh, we're going to play a little review and preview trivia um, early on in the show with the two of you featured. Just wanted to bring that up. Um, and then me and Fonz will go the week after. So it will be oh, no. a little tee off to kill some time. Um, and then maybe the loser will get some type of punishment. No I'm pun done, done with. I'm done with punishments. I'm done with them. <laughs> Uh, but uh <laughs> just, just a little heads up easy for Fonz to say um but yeah everyone is back in the mix so that's always a good thing no nope. uh, no we're not <laughs> while we get Paul Lombardi up here in just a couple of moments he's going to talk about those Kansas City Chiefs Fonz feel free to bring him up here whenever um on it. if you guys have fan questions on our Facebook live stream feel free to ask them and we will be happy to get back to you shout out John Unterweger hello from Tulsa Oklahoma uh thank you very much for watching our show tonight and again, thank you guys a lot for last week. We really appreciate it. And without further ado, is Paul up here? We're I getting him up now. Paul is there ready. He is. There he is. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, Paul. How are you? We saw you were on LinkedIn news today. How, how, does, how does that make you feel? My God, I feel like a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> did, did not know that that picture was going to go up, you know, on LinkedIn, Facebook, all that stuff. So. So I got mixed feelings about it, but it's 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 interesting. Uh, if you guys don't know what that picture is, Paul and um, his two other siblings. Well, he has three siblings, but uh, him and his two other siblings that have attended college already all hail from the shoebox, uh, Sacred Heart University. I know, Fines, you have a friend that went there, Matt Monaco. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Paul uh, representing the shoebox on LinkedIn. Uh, but without further ado. Um, Let's get to that. I love the Mets background, by the way. How was golfing today? You have a good time out there? I know it's kind of rainy a little bit now, but uh, how was that for you? <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. It was really nice today. It was like 75 to 80-ish. 
like first real summer day like it was it was great first time i played since october so i didn't do great but uh it was still it was still fun to do something you know hopefully you know as things move forward like we can you know go without masks eventually and stuff but you know we'll see i agree 100 percent and you know, I'd love to be back up in Stanford soon at some point where you are um, and get things back to some sort of normalcy. But without further ado, Paul, um, I like the Patrick Mahomes shirt. Uh, we have a bunch of questions for you. And the first one we want to ask you is this. Um, obviously, the, the Chiefs, um, they drafted a running back at the end of the first round, number 32 overall. Uh, but the Chiefs did not address their interior line as much as I thought in this draft. Uh, and they lost Stefan Wisniewski in free agency. Who do you think emerges as the left guard this year for Kansas City? Well, first off, tell me who you think the starting five are and who takes over that position. Well, it's going to be interesting because the two tackles are going to be Schwartz and Fisher, like definitely. Uh, the center, Austin Ryder, we're going to have back. And we'll have LDT, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, if uh, if he's healthy. You know, that's always the question with him. The other guard is really what's going to be up in the air. I, I think, you know, they might end up moving some guys around. I feel like um, they might give – I mean, Niang is the guy that we drafted. He's a tackle, though. And then we get, we signed Rammers. We lost a couple of the backup guys. So I feel like it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see. Like I I really don't have a specific guess of like the fifth guy. I think it's just going to be like an open tryout and seeing who slots in. Honestly, they got they have Andrew Wiley back too. You know they have a few options, but they lost some guys. And obviously, we only drafted one offensive lineman. And you know our six picks, so it's going it's going to be interesting. If everybody's healthy, it'll be okay for the most part. But there's definitely somebody's going to have to step up and you know step into the guard spot that's open. And here's the thing too: the Chiefs only had five picks. They had to trade back into the seventh round to just get a sixth pick. So it's not like you can be very selective here uh, with what needs you need to fill. It's kind of like a thing where it, at some point in time you have to just look on the board and see you're picking at the bottom of each round. So who is that best player available, which is why I love the Clyde Edwards Hilaire pick. Let's run down the picks that they had. So they took him in the first round. The second round, they had the trade with San Francisco. Uh, they took Willie Gay Jr., a linebacker out of Mississippi State. And in the third round, they took your boy Lucas Niang, who could be a potential swing tackle. I know Fisher and Schwartz. Uh, I know Schwartz is somewhat up there in age. I know he's around that 30 range. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he fills in the fourth round. They took Legereus Sneed, cornerback out of Louisiana Tech. And then in the fifth round, they took Mike Dana, defensive end from Michigan. And then this last pick in the seventh round, they acquired from none other than Fonz's Tennessee Titans, uh, wink, wink. Thakarius um, <laughs> Bo Pete Keys. Can yep. you explain this Bo Pete nickname to me? To be honest with you, I have no idea. I like it's it's an interesting pick. Obviously, not anyone that anyone was like really had high on their draft boards from Tulane. Um, he's he's just I guess one of those guys. I have no idea where he got that name from. If that's like actually his real name, I haven't done the research yet on that. But um, I it's it was an interesting pick. I feel like it's going to be you know he's going to be one of those guys 
fighting for a last roster spot. You know, I think Andy Reid has to see something in him. They had to have scouted him a bit, uh, especially to have traded into the seventh round to get him to. Um, even though, you know, obviously you don't have to give up very much to get to trade back into the seventh round. But, like, you know, instead of letting the draft go by, they they wanted to try out this guy. So uh, I, I'm, in, I'm interested in seeing it. I like the Legereus Sneed pick, though, specifically, because I, you know, I've seen his highlights. I, le- I like the way he plays. He's quick. I feel like he can be one of those steals that you find in like the middle of the draft. I feel like he's got that kind of potential. Not you know, getting getting too excited, but yeah, I I, I thought that was a good pick. I I really wanted them to get a cornerback at some point in the draft, especially. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I'd agree with that for sure. That further further ado, funds. Uh, you're on the hot seat. Question for Paul. Yeah, uh, we're talking about uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire and. I know Tom likes the pick. I mean, I'm on the fence about it because for me, I had Edwards as like the fifth, maybe sixth, like the best running back because I thought the likes of like uh, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, uh, Dobbins, I mean, were kind of better options. I know they wanted more of a pass catching back. Do you think Edwards is going to have is going to be the starter from week one or is he going to have a significant role? So I want to know your thoughts on Edwards Flair as their first pick in the draft. Yeah, I think I definitely was surprised by that pick too. You know, obviously he wasn't like the number one running back, and he was the ended up being the first running back taken. But uh, Patrick Mahomes apparently was one of the top guys that was like, you know, go get this guy if he's available at thirty two. He really wanted him, so I think I don't think that he starts the season immediately as the number one running back. I feel like Damian Williams is still, you know, the top guy, but he'll be the second string. Uh, we got Daryl Williams, we got Darwin Thompson, who both played like decently last year as like third and fourth options. You know, I feel like he's going to he'll be used as a slot receiver, things like that. Um, for most of the situation, it's just I guess just see just see how he does. But he'll probably, I would assume, start off as the second, especially behind Damian Williams. I I agree. Before we get to Kyle Russo here. Uh, yeah, you know, funds. I, I I do think this pick is somewhat suspect, but I, I think Paul is a good point. Eventually, he could eat into Damian Williams' workload, uh, especially if you draft a guy in the first round. Like, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to be a backup forever, but I think he's definitely going to have to earn his role because Damian Williams. Obviously, uh, a lot of people argued he should have been the MVP of the big game this past year, um, and I, I know Paul loves his uh, Damian Williams. <laughs> sure. Kyle, unbelievable Super Bowl game, but uh, yeah, you should have should have been MVP if we didn't have Patrick Mahomes on our team. You know, I mean, if we don't have Patrick Mahomes, we don't make it there anyway. But you know, he he was the guy. He came up huge. Paul, question for you: You guys drafted two cornerbacks in this draft, and then you alluded to it earlier, saying that Lejarius Sneed was your your favorite pick in this uh, of the Chiefs um, in this draft. How do you evaluate these two quarterbacks taking uh, Lejarius Need and uh, Takarius Keats? I think I think they were pretty solid. You know, I was hoping that they were going to go after like the f- first, second round cor- kind of cornerback. Um, 
especially since like that's a big hole in that. Bashad Breland uh, is looking like he's got some issues going on, so we don't know if he's coming back. So it, some of these guys are going to have to step up. We have Traverius Ward still. So I was hoping, I was definitely hoping for like Gladney, one of those guys, to fall to thirty-two. But it, when it, the thirty-second pick came, it was a, it was difficult to take a cornerback. I feel there because all the top cornerbacks went. And we would have had to reach for like a mid, like a projected mid second round cornerback that was left because a lot of you know a lot of those guys were already taken. So that which which kind of stunk. I kind of wanted them to to take a first or a second round corner, but I think they're going to be good. Like I like Sneed, you know. Um, I I don't know like an extreme amount about Kias, but uh, I think I think they could they could fit in pretty decently you know i we got we have we have a good amount of depth you know hopefully breland there's still some cornerbacks out there too that you could pick up like on short-term contracts for sure there's still a few veterans out there and you know i think it, it's going to be it's definitely our biggest hole i think in the entire for the entire team especially since we lost fuller uh which was big but it's I, I think I think the two guys that they took are pretty decent, though. I'm looking forward to seeing what they have. Yeah, Paul, I completely agree. Those are definitely two good guys to get because, if I'm not mistaken, uh, didn't they lose Fuller too in free agency? Yeah, so, kind of, yeah. There you go, Redskins. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I know James. You've also been doing your research on Kansas City. What do you got? So, Paul, as um, you saw this offseason, they had very little cap space to work with. Now, given that with around seven guys becoming free agents in 2021, are you concerned with the cap space they're having next with Williams uh, to sign Sammy Walkins back? Um, are you concerned? Do you think they'll just regain that money and sign who they need back and let others walk? I think they definitely, we definitely have like a solid plan. You know, it's obviously, you definitely got to salary cap issues and we're going to have a like, good amount of guys coming off the books next year. But I think the, a lot of the money is going to be flipped on signing some other holes. I feel like if, we have a lot of cornerback issues this year. We have a lot of secondary issues. That's going to be one big thing. You know, Sammy Watkins' contract is up. You free up $8 million. They're, they might be in the market next offseason for a cornerback. I feel like that's, you know, the, the big thing. And it seemed uh, Veach doesn't really, isn't really all in on splurging on a top paid running back, as we've seen, which I think is like the vibe that they're going to hold on to for a bit too that's why they've been drafting running backs the last couple of years because especially with the offense and you got Tyreek you got everybody going you got all these long ball threats they're going to they're going to keep their I mean hopefully this guy uh, Edwards Hilaire pans out and then we got Damian Williams coming off the books depending on what kind of season he has maybe re-sign him but I I think that next offseason it'll definitely be be better to like address the things that we are uh, whatever we lack this season you know and obviously Mahomes's huge extension is coming soon too which is going to you know take a hit on the uh, on the salary cap to a degree but it, it's good it's going to be interesting I I'm okay with it 
Um, they've restructured a couple contracts too, which, mm-hmm. which free up some guys. But uh, yeah, I think I think they have a pretty solid plan in place right now. Now, since you brought up Mahomes, because he's probably going to get a nice big fat paycheck from Kansas City, uh, do you think they should wait to his contract is fully up, or just re-sign him with with now? And then figure out the pieces later. I think, personally, I think they got to just get it. Not necessarily this off season, but maybe next off season because his contract isn't up until the off season after, I believe. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think you could just get it done with now to be like I'm. I'm a hundred percent in on like on giving it to him, like even tomorrow. You know, and figuring out the rest because you know you because the bottom line is you know you're gonna have to give him big money very soon. He doesn't only deserve it, but he you know, he deserves to be the highest paid quarterback football too, especially. So I think I think for him for the team altogether too. I think uh, just to get it done with. Well, let me possible. let me um, just say one thing about that. Uh, Mahomes will definitely have to get paid. I think Watson gets it before Pat for some reason. Uh, but with Bill O'Brien, we, we just we really don't know what he's thinking on. We don't, we don't even know what type of brain cells the man has at this point. Yeah. Um, with Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes is obviously going to get paid. He's going to get extended. But I, I think the big issue is you have Austin Ryder coming up, Demarcus Robinson. I know James alluded to Sammy Watkins and Damian Williams, also Damian Wilson, uh, Bashad Breland. It's going to be Jones. very tough. Chris Jones is the yeah. big name on that list. Not going to be able to keep all those guys, so I think it's more important than ever for Kansas City to accumulate draft capital this year because they're going to have to. They already lost their sixth-round pick for next year just to trade back into the seventh round for this year. So I, am I a little bit concerned for Kansas city? Yes. Only because you know who you have to pay and who you might lose at his expense. I think it's really going to come down to the plugs and strings that Kansas city can pull uh, in these next couple of drafts and seeing if they can keep that team and keep the influx to the mix and match of veterans and younger guys funds. I want you to chime in about that. What do you think about their current uh, cap situation? I know it's similar to Minnesota's from this year. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, they're kind of just, you know, the, the trying to see if they can do like a dynasty for just the next couple of short seasons. I mean, I know you got a lot of pairs to play. I mean, Chris Jones, we talked about Patrick Mahomes is the big one. I think they're going to, I mean, they franchise Chris Jones. So they're going to, I don't know if he's, did he sign it yet or is he still, under like the quote unquote free agent banner, I'm not too sure. But either yeah. way, I mean, yeah, he hasn't signed the uh, the franchise tag yet. They're currently they're working on an extension with him, which I you know I got some thoughts about that too for yeah. sure. Well, well, I'll I'll let you uh, chime in on that. But yeah, I think that's the main thing they got to go for first because obviously Chris Jones is a big part in that defense and that Super Bowl run this past season. Uh, the Caps could be a little bit difficult, but I guess they're just going to – they already won one Super Bowl. Maybe they'll try to go for a repeat, and then it'll be interesting to see what happens after the 2020 season. So it's they got a lot of other pieces too. I know uh, Sammy Watkins too. They're thinking about possibly training him or just restructuring uh, his deal. I know Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, they're kind of locked in for a while too, so they don't have to yeah. worry about that. 
uh, Mitchell Schwartz too, and uh, Eric Fisher. I know they try to make some cap by cutting their longtime punter, uh, Dustin Colquitt too. That's uh, they try to do that a little bit too. Yeah, for sure. And um, and Kelsey and both both Kelsey and Tyreek have signed team friendly contracts the last couple of seasons too. They're not getting paid huge money for this exact purpose that we have to we have to give it to Mahomes. We have to keep some money to sign veterans, things like that. But I think I definitely think the top priorities are re-signing Mahomes long term and re-signing Chris Jones long term because Chris Jones is an anchor of the defense. Like I, they can't afford to let him go. The plays that he made down the stretch, those tips passes, are like was unbelievable. He was down the stretch of the uh, Super Bowl, I should say. And uh, I think that he's just a tremendous player, and he's got to be the anchor and the key piece of that defensive line. For a long time, so they, those are the two guys they got to re-sign long term, and the other guys. Obviously, you know you can't pay everybody. You're going to end up having to lose guys. Sammy Watkins might be gone after this year. You know if they don't trade him, they, you know guys like that especially. But uh, I think the key, the most important thing is the key pieces to to bring back, which I think right now is Jones and Mahomes, especially. Uh, Obviously, Mahomes isn't going anywhere, but it's Jones. You know, hopefully, he doesn't just sign the franchise tag. Hopefully, they can ex- they can say uh, agree on an extension. But it's definitely well, there will be pieces going in and out for sure. Yeah, and you bring up some compelling points there for sure. One question I've been itching to ask you: Tyler Newsom is now the punter for this team. Obviously, Dustin Colquitt was fantastic for the 15, 16 years he was with the team. And he was a great veteran leader. He was one of the captains of the team. Uh, what impresses you the most about this Tyler Newsom? And obviously we know for a punter, doing 33 bench reps is unheard. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a freak. Like, I like I like the way he, you know, I I haven't seen too much about him. I like the way he goes about things. You know, you obviously some punters, you know, like Steve Weatherford, too, was uh, a big a big workout guy. You know, you see, you see kind of things like that. It gets you hyped up. And I feel like Cole quits was on his way out, especially, you know, within the next couple of years. Um, I hope, I definitely hope he gets a shot somewhere else. It was different. It was difficult to see him go. He was the last guy from the 2005 draft class. You know, he, he made it longer than Derek Johnson or Tomba Ali did. So they, it, he was, you know, I'm just glad that we were able to win the ring with him at least mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm excited to see what Newsom has you know I think that it'll be him I feel like they might sign another punter and they probably keep one on the practice squad and have them you know duke it out in the preseason but it, it'll be interesting I think I think I do too uh two more questions here for you Ricky Seals Jr. was recently signed as uh Kelsey's backup or at least he's going to compete for that position how do you evaluate the backup tight end position on this team? Because that's also a very important part to any offense. Yeah, I think it was good. I think the Seals Jones pick with Seals Jones signing was solid. Uh, they had to get somebody to replace Blake Bell. He signed with the Cowboys, so uh, they they needed another blocker. Seals Jones too has is a pretty solid receiver too. He's put up some decent receiving stats. Obviously, he's he's more of like the second string block first kind of tight end which is going to be key and then we also have Dion Yelder too who was young didn't play much last season I think it's good I think I think he's going to be a solid second tight end 
behind Kelsey, bring him in different formations. Like it'll be fun, and he can he can catch the football too, which is key. Just to just adds another threat too when you bring him out on the field. Hundred percent. And the last question we wanted to ask you on behalf of all of us: uh, What was your favorite pick of this draft? I know there's not many picks to choose from, but uh, if you had to pick one. Uh, it doesn't have to be the best pick. It could be your personal favorite uh, and who can help this team. I'm definitely going to say Legereus Sneed in the fourth round. That one, for some reason, like once I saw that, I was like, I was pretty excited. Like that was, I I got a good feeling about him. I was, uh, you know, like when they drafted Kareem Hunt, I was I was pretty excited. I got that one right. There's definitely been some ones that got gone wrong too. But uh, Legereus Sneed, I feel like, He's got an NFL build. I, he's fast. I, I think he's going to be a good player. And I think he's going to be one of those guys in the middle of the draft that you look back and, you know, we're one of the steals. That, that was definitely my favorite. Uh, any questions? Uh, yeah, I love Snead, too. He's going to be definitely a good corner. I also think that feels a big need if they have any, uh, any questions for us before uh, we let you go. Um, not too many. Uh, yeah. How'd you guys, how did you guys feel about the chiefs draft? I thought it was pretty good. The only pick that it's not that I didn't like it. I I would have to agree with Fonz is that I just thought that at number 32, considering that up until that point, there was no running back selected. I thought a guy like Jonathan Taylor or JK Dobbins would have been guaranteed. I do like Clyde Edwards, uh, Hilaire. I do like him a lot out of LSU. Um, I think it's a great pick, you know, and Andy Reid, he knows what he's doing. And to be honest, the Chiefs don't have that many holes to begin with. You know, they lost Kendall Fuller. They lost some pieces on the offensive line. But to be honest, I don't think that's really going to affect Patrick Mahomes and his personal performance. The Chiefs didn't have, I mean, I guess you could say Damian Williams was the consistent running back, but he wasn't that stat guy in the regular season. He had the outstanding Super Bowl performance, but in the regular season, he wasn't that guy. So you could see that Patrick Mahomes can carry the team really on his back. Uh, from the quarterback play solely, but I, I, it was just a surprise for me that he was the quarterback, that, uh, the running back that the Chiefs uh, were interested in. Oh yeah, for sure. Paul, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we will talk to you about Kansas City further down the line. But for now, we bid you farewell, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. I know you're a big Knicks fan and a big Mets fan, so I want to get you up soon to talk about them as well. Sounds good. Anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Paul. Good night. Have a good one. All right. That was Paul Lombardi from Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, Paul living on cloud nine right now uh, (laughs) up in Chiefs Kingdom. I can only imagine how that feels. You know, I was thinking about this during Paul's call, guys. Last year's Chiefs kind of reminded me of the Giants in a sense not based off record and performance but kind of like where uh, their players are and in the situations that they, that they ended up Mahomes won the Super Bowl in his third year Eli Manning won her in his fourth the skill players kind of resemble players they used to have on the Giants I don't know it just it just got me thinking how good it felt to win a Super Bowl back then back when I was 12 years old watching that game and Paul now uh, getting to see his Chiefs finally do it. First Super Bowl he ever got to witness. So congratulations to Kansas City. And honestly, they might do it again next year. So we'll see what happens. 
Uh, but let's get into the NFC East. We're really going to get into the meat and potatoes of the show right now. We're going to talk about the Redskins and the Cowboys. Uh, there are some thunderstorm warnings in Sullivan County, New York, where Canaan is. So we might get him on a landline instead of a Skype, just so that doesn't uh, make things a little bit off-kiltered on our setup end. But uh, there is a picture of Canaan you can see on our graphic. That is a picture of him. And we will uh, talk about that picture and what that means in a, a little bit because he's standing with somebody very important in there. But the Washington Redskins, guys, uh, no-brainer, Chase Young, number two o- overall, right? How can yeah. you go wrong with that? It's a defensive-minded coach taking a defensive-minded yep. guy. Honestly, he was the best player hands down in this draft. Bravo, Redskins. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the easy one. I mean, if Joe Burrow was on the board, I thought he'd be like, he's overall the best prospect, yeah, quarterback or not. Uh, makes that front seven right away on stop. Like, that's a very good front seven, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do there. Yeah, like Fonz is saying, it's just the, and especially not just Ron Rivera being there, but Jack Del Rio, I'm pretty sure, is the defensive coordinator, too, now for the Redskins as well. That defense is now absolutely filthy. They had players like Matt Ioannidis, De'Aaron Payne, uh, Jonathan Allen, uh, Montez Sweat, who racked up seven sacks last year, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, and now you add Chase Young. And you get back Kendall Fuller, who's still a top cornerback in this league. I mean, that defense is going to be something filthy. And don't forget Landon Collins. You know, people don't appreciate him at the safety position, but what he does on the field, um, I take any day of the week. That defense is is very, very nice. It's going to be scary down the line, especially with a lot of young players on that line. Russo, you just listed off most of their defensive side. Correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't most of them from the Ohio State? Uh, There's a a few. I think most of them are from Alabama, I think, actually. I think De'Aaron Payne went to Alabama. Um, Jonathan Allen from Alabama. Landon Collins from Alabama. Um... I think Montez Sweat was Mississippi State. Yeah, uh, uh, I think Chase Young is actually one of the only ones from Ohio State. I don't remember Ryan Kerrigan. He's been in the league forever now. Uh, Purdue, actually. Yeah, Purdue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next pick, and th- this is where I'm very confused, guys. If, if you're Washington, you're the wor- you're the second worst team in the league last year, and you don't trade back to get a pick in the second round there was a 64 pick gap between picks for the redskins their next pick was antonio gibson a running back out of memphis at 66 overall uh did anybody scout this guy exclusively i know i know i did a little bit on the combine but i I really don't think uh this is a head turner type of pick I mean, he wasn't that bad in college at Memphis. He was a good, like, receiving back, kick returner. Uh, but I agree. I mean, he, again, he's not a bad running back. I don't know if it fits it because right now they have Darius Guy. I mean, Adrian Peterson, yes, up there in, is up there in age, but they have Bryce Love and Darius Geis in the back. I know they're injury prone right now, but that's still three capable running backs, and they just signed Peyton Barber in a, in a spot where they need help in the secondary outside of Landon Collins. I think they should have traded up for a corner or a safety at that point. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Gibson, not a bad pick. I just think that when you have a lot of other needs, I think running back's kind of on the back burner for now, at least for the Redskins' point of view. Right. Well, who did they have starting last year? Do we remember? What, at running back? 
Yeah, it was Peterson. It was AP. It AP. was it was AP. AP. And then and then Darius guys came in for like a few games and then got hurt again. Yeah, yeah. But I was, mean, and Darius guys was drafted pretty recently too. So yeah, he was only drafted like two years ago. But yeah, yes. he's been hurt all the time. He can never get stay on the field. The thing is, two guys with a new coaching staff, it's kind of somewhat starting over. So really, no player who was drafted before that regime is somewhat safe in their set role from the previous season, unless your name is like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's just one of those situations. But um, look, the Redskins had eight draft picks in this draft. Uh, none in the second, none in the sixth. That's 64 pick gap is definitely concerning and not to mention they also traded away their left tackle Trent Williams to the 49ers for a 2020 fifth rounder which was they had two fifth round picks in this draft and then um, I believe a couple of six round picks for next year I really like this Trent Williams trade for them because obviously Washington is not going anywhere mm-hmm. and you want to accumulate draft picks to somewhat rebuild Um I like the trade. I think it helps San Francisco out with Joe Staley, longtime left tackle retiring. Yeah. Uh, but look, uh, losing Trent Williams, he's going to be a very tough player to uh, replace. Yeah, I know Ron Rivera. I know he he's starting a new regime, like you said. He probably wasn't going to let any of that Trent Williams, like you know, holding out for a contract or whatever. He wasn't going to let that happen. He's just like, all right, get this, get this guy out of here. Let's get a new guy that actually wants to be here and play. So it works out for both sides. San Francisco got a new left tackle to replace Staley, and uh, Redskins got some draft picks enough to deal with the the headache of Trent Williams. The headache of Trent Williams, yeah, you know, <laughs> he definitely caused the headache at times. And pretty much the face of their offensive line is Brandon Scherf, the guy the Giants should have drafted five years ago. Yep. Yeah. Kyle Russo looks very solemn in that uh, left corner. I'm trying, of the to, I'm trying to count back. Five years ago, was that Eric Flowers or was that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was Odell for a minute. I, I, had, to, <laughs> no. uh, I had to retract my uh, facial uh, expression when you said that. But um, Russo. Yeah, James. Five years ago, you were what in middle school? Five years ago, first year high uh, school. Sure, high school. Uh, high school. Yeah. You know, yeah, Russo, I know you're still shaking your head over that Eric Flowers pick. That's a pick that Giant fans just like to forget about. This is where you really have your eyes set <laughs> on a guy, have your eyes on the prize, and then the pick right before you, boom. It's like it's like a fantasy football draft. You know, Brandon Sharp, a big hog molly. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it is hey, it is what it is. Speaking of offensive linemen, the Redskins take one in the fourth round, number 107 overall in Shadik Charles. Offensive tackle from LSU. This guy blocked for Joe Burrow. I really like this pick for them. This is a guy who could potentially replace Trent Williams. Will he have the same effect? Probably not right away. Possibly not ever. But it's a start. And I'm what I'm really surprised, guys. Look, I, I know I don't want to sit here and bash on Washington, but for a defensive-minded coach and for a team that had a lot of holes on their defense last year, they're really investing in protecting the quarterback position. Three of their first four picks were offensive players. Antonio Gibson, Shadik Charles, and then Antonio Gandy-Golden, the wide receiver from Liberty, whose name I jumble up every time until now, live on the show. Um, But uh, before we get to Gandy-Golden, Kyle, what are your thoughts on Shadik Charles? I love this pick a lot. There was analysts that were saying that this guy was easily – mid second round late uh late second round type of guy the only 
negative that came with him was off the field issues. He had a um, he had a lot of instances with um, marijuana use and uh, substance use. But you know, granted, with the new NFL rules, that won't necessarily be a tro- uh, a problem if that habit does continue on as a Redskin. But um, this guy is a second round talent. I thought he was great. Uh, I thought he was a great tackle for LSU. Obviously, Tom, like you said, he blocked extremely well for Joe Burrow uh, last year. And it's a good player. Can he replace Trent Williams? He'll probably be the starting left tackle on day one, no doubt, considering that they don't have many options at the moment. But Trent Williams, I mean, guys, we were talking about it. I don't, to be honest, yeah, you got rid of a headache, but was he really a headache? You know, everybody, people forget. Remember what happened with the whole treatment of Trent Williams and uh, why he necessarily wanted to get out of a Redskins uniform? He was willing at one point to re-sign a contract extension, but because of his medical status, that's why he wanted to be traded because the Redskins doctors had claimed that he didn't have anything and the man wanted up having cancer and they let him play through it. And that's what wanted up happening. But a fifth round and a sixth round pick type of compensation, you know, a healthy left tackle in Trent Williams, that's, that's easily second round comp- uh, compensation, at least third round. But, you know, Sadiq Charles, he's a good young rookie type of player who could fill into that left tackle position on day one. And, and block for whoever the Redskins decide to choose. My guess would be Dwayne Haskins at this point. But bringing over Kyle Allen from Carolina Panthers is a little suspect, especially also bringing over Ron Rivera. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it is somewhat of a suspect pick, but I think it's definitely a pick that needed to be made based off the tackles who were on the board at that point. Um, I do agree with you there. Antonio Gandy-Golden, this was a guy a lot of people were surprised that fell to a fourth round compensatory pick funds. Uh, I know you had this guy on your radar, uh, potential mid round pick for the Baltimore Ravens break down this candy golden pick. Yeah. I, I had him actually as my sleeper when I did the JDF sports wide receiver ranking six, four two twenty five, a big body target from Liberty last three seasons over a thousand yards. So obviously he, I mean, and over 10 touchdowns in those final three seasons. So he knows how to score the ball and he can get up there too. Uh, it, it some interesting stuff I learned about him too. Obviously, a big body target pairs along nice to a Terry McLaurin and gives Dwayne Haskins another red zone target there. So it's a good pairing. I think that should be a, a underrated one down the line. I, I was when he got drafted. I saw you know how ESPN had those fun facts about each player. This one was funny. It said he grew up playing gymnastics and juggling. That's how it helped him to play football. Good for him, I guess. And uh, he also has a lot of other talents like being able to solve a Rubik's cube in under a minute. And uh, actually did a perfect game in bowling. This is all courtesy of ESPN giving that draft graphic. So thank you for ESPN for that uh, excellent reporting there on that one too. So he does a lot of different things too. But overall on the football field, he's an athletic guy. It's, like I said, at 6'4", I think Gandy Goldman is definitely a guy that could contribute to the Redskins right away. Yeah, I think it's definitely a guy that they need to help Dwayne Haskins because last year, uh, besides that guy, uh, McLaurin, that they had, right, the wide receiver, the, the young guy, yeah, they they really don't have anybody. And in order to give Dwayne Haskins a chance, but I'll be honest with you, the with the way things are looking, it's looking more like Kyle Allen starts week one and not Dwayne Haskins. That's crazy. And the reason, the reason why is because Rivera clearly stated it due to the coronavirus – He's more familiar with Kyle Allen, and that's the guy he wants to go with. It's kind of like a seniority thing, which is surprising because Haskins has been on the team longer. You would think Haskins would have seniority, despite Kyle Allen being in the league a little longer. But anyway, let's get through the rest of these picks. The fifth-round pick, 
The first fifth round pick they had was acquired via trade from Denver through San Francisco as part of the Trent Williams deal. They took Keith Ishmael, a center out of San Diego State. I'll be honest, I did not know much about this guy before draft night, but when I look at him more on film, he is an excellent combo block uh, combo blocker on the run, and he's a guy that could definitely help their interior and learn from from a veteran in Brandon Scherf. Yeah, no, I, I I read a little bit more about Keith Ishmael as the after he got drafted too. I mean, like you said, it's a good spot for him. I uh, could definitely learn um, under Ron Rivera. Maybe eventually could be the starter down the line. Uh, I've said this before. Once you get to like the fourth round on, it's kind of guys who can maybe be role players. So eventually starters down the line. Got to learn a little bit here and there, but not a bad spot to build some depth. It's a good way to build up the line now. Again, they traded Trent Williams for another lineman, you could say here. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, look, at the expense of Trent Williams, you get Shadik Charles and Keith Ishmael in to replace. I don't think it's a bad pick at all. Uh, James, I know you personally despise the Washington Redskins. Uh, Quite frankly, this was not the worst draft in the NFC East, though. I I do think they nailed a couple of their picks, especially among this offensive line. They they honestly did. They nailed... Pretty much, they solidified, hopefully, that offensive line for years to come. Um, you know, from picking up a guard to an offensive lineman, it, it, you, we may not see it this year, giving the Giants such a hard time uh, getting to the quarterback. Um, but I say give it a year or two, or not even the Giants, the Cowboys, the Eagles. Um, you know, they, they did something pretty well on getting more offensive guys. Tom, like you did say earlier, it's more of a defensive minded coach, um, but they did address the needs on their offensive line. hundred percent. And you look at four out of the first five picks, it's all offense. It's all yep. offense. Uh, two offensive linemen, a running back, a wide receiver. It's just insane. But then you go to the last three picks and then they're all defense. Uh, the other fifth round pick that they got was via Pittsburgh through Seattle. They picked Kalike Hudson, edge rusher out of Michigan, more of an outside linebacker type of guy, but he can rush the passer. Uh, I really like this guy. Um, (laughs) Alec Walt just commented, uh, you took my sleeper wide receiver should have let you go first. (laughs) Yeah, we did. We were, we did our wide receiver rankings and he's like, I'll let you go first. Who's your sleeper wide receiver. And I said, Antonio Gandy golden. He got really mad and he goes, that was my sleeper. Now I got to go find another one. We're both huge fans. (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. Um, and the more I think about it too, Washington definitely had one of the better drafts in the NFL, maybe more towards like the middle of the pack. Originally, I didn't think they had a great draft. But considering the capital that they acquired for Trent Williams for the future, I don't necessarily think that was a terrible move. I don't think it puts them in the top tier, but it definitely puts them in the middle of the pack, more along that 16 to 22 team range. I don't think it was a terrible draft at all. We look at these last couple of picks, and my gosh, getting Cameron Curl safety out of Arkansas in the seventh round, that's pretty good. I'm going to be honest with you. This is a guy people had going in the late fifth, mid-sixth round. And for him to fall into the seventh round and learn – in a secondary that consists of Josh Norman and Landon Collins. Oh my, you know, and again, this pick might not pan out. It's a late round flyer. You know, it's a low risk, uh, decent reward type of thing. But I think this guy could definitely, uh, be a contributor on this team. Definitely. Probably will start off on special teams and eventually maybe, maybe have a shot to work down his, uh, 
work towards a starting role down the line. But yeah, not not a bad pick. I mean, he was ranked up a lot higher than where he was selected. And that was kind of the case for all the safety classes when you think about it. Example, Xavier McKinney. We had him all in the first round, dropped to the second round. It's kind of the same here with uh, Cameron Carl also. Fifth round fell of the seventh. It's kind of just like the safety class was very weird this year where they were drafted a lot later than expected. And then you see Tanner Moose going in the, in the third round. Like, what the heck? Yeah. You know, it just the, the draft made no sense uh, as far as safeties were concerned. Um, maybe little to no sense. But I know Tanner Moose was, I believe he was picked by the Raiders. He was going high on people's radars. The more the they Clemson about safety. Him, that's right. I had to double check on who you were talking about. Yeah, the, the Clemson safety <laughs> linebacker guy. Basically, a poor man's version of his own teammate Isaiah Simmons. That's exactly. basically what he was. It, well, um, he was drafted by the Raiders. Yeah. It sounds like something Gruden Mayock would do. Reach for a lot of players. That's and, that's another team too. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. We can talk about defense all we want, but Washington wants to improve their offense because I, I remember actually just dawned on me now. I was reading a report this week. Dwayne Haskins lost a lot of body fat. Yeah. In the offseason, he has been working out and he's been dropping a lot of weight. And I think he's going to have a much improved year two in the NFL. Look, it's very tough to have a difficult year one, especially when you don't come in as a starter. I mean, it's tough when you're just asked to fill in one week and change your role, especially when you're new to a system. The chemistry is not there. Kyle, I know you were very high on a guy like Dwayne Haskins. How do you evaluate his year one performance and what do you expect from him in year two for this Redskins team? I expect them to have a really good year. I, I don't expect them to compete with the likes of the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, but I expect the uh, the uh, the Redskins to have a decent season, maybe around six, maybe seven wins, because Dwayne Haskins, you have to remember, Jay Gruden absolutely obliterated that team last year, self-handedly obliterated the situation with that team. Dwayne Haskins comes in, uh, what was it, week three or week four against the Giants, and we learned later that later that night that Dwayne Haskins hadn't even had any pr- first uh, uh, what was it called uh, first string reps uh, with the week uh, with the team the week prior. He he had absolutely no preparations for even starting uh, in the beginning of the season at all. And then this kid became the the week in week out starter as soon as Case Keenum got hurt when Case Keenum got pulled because he was underperforming. This kid was in a bad situation, but now under some structure because Ron Rivera will not let that happen. Uh, even under the coronavirus circumstances, you see that he's trying to build and fortify an offensive line. You see that he's trying to give him more back help, give him more receiver help. Uh, don't forget about Kelvin Harmon also, who they drafted last year at the receiver depth. Uh, tight end situation is a little bit iffy. They let go of Jordan Reed, uh, but I think Thaddeus Moss, I think we could agree upon that, will probably be the starting tight end for them. Uh, Vernon Davis retiring as well. Um, but I think that he's going to be in a much better situation to succeed. And he might not individually perform that well on the offense, but like I said earlier, that defense is going to be something to reckon with. It, it's going to be a very, very good defense, um, especially under the two defensive-minded guys in Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera. It's going to be very you know, nice. Fun fact about Thaddeus Moss, you know, he snubbed the New England Patriots after the draft was over. Obviously, a lot of people thought this guy was going to be drafted, Randy Moss's son, that is. But then they find out that – um, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what happened. If he just refused to go to New England, or he prioritized Washington, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. But I think it he, seemed- he wanted a place where he knew that he'd get the start. Because you have to remember that the Patriots obviously had a tight end in Lacoste, and then they drafted two more, and yeah. Uh, yeah. David CSC and they drafted Dalton Keene, I believe, as well. Yeah. So yeah. he he probably wasn't even to make the team, maybe even the practice squad, if that. 
So he probably wanted to get go to a place where he knew that he'd have a good chance to win the starting day one job, which personally I think he does um, yeah. compared to some of the other tight ends that they already have on their roster. I think this and might be – oh, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. And don't forget Jordan Reed is no longer on the team. He's a free agent. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's why I think he has such a great chance to be the starting uh, tight end for them. Mm-hmm. And I was going to mention, I think, you know, I think Thaddeus Small, even though he was undrafted, he might be their second best rookie in this class if you want to count the undrafted free agents with their draft class, I think. Because if he's gonna, he could definitely start right away. And I'll definitely put Gandy Golden there as like the third, maybe like a sleeper guy. But I definitely think it's Chase Young and Thaddeus Moss is second as a rookie who's going to make an impact right away. Yeah. That's a great point as well. Um, okay, so their last pick, this was interesting. Defensive end out of NC State, seventh round via Denver, uh, James Smith-Williams. James Smith-Williams, a defensive end. Uh, he kind of reminds me of a Matt Ioannidis type of player who's currently on their roster. This guy, he's he's somewhat big. He's 6'4", 265. And then the more I looked into his tape at the combine, this is a very experienced player that is geographically, he's close to Washington. I think he has a lot of familiarity with the Redskins franchise. He was a graduate student. Uh, he's very intelligent. And he he's capable of beating offensive tackles. I, I believe he had a sack against Makai Becton this year. Uh, and we're talking about a seventh-round pick going uh, up against a, a first-round talent mm-hmm. in Makai Becton. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people thought may have been the, the number one tackle in this draft if he didn't run into some combine issues. But, I mean, without further ado, that's the Washington Redskins draft. Uh Look, I, I all think we know the best pick was Chase Young, but there, if there was definitely one pick that I didn't like that really caught me off guard, it was definitely the Antonio Gibson pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, look, I, res- I respect the pick. I don't think you need to go running back in second round. Paul just brought it up on our call. Right? I think, Fonz, it, was, it might it might have been you, actually. It was either you or Paul saying that running backs, you don't need to go out and get a star running back to be successful in this league. Mm-hmm. Unless there's a guy on the board like a McCaffrey or a Barkley, Zeke, you know, like those right. are the really the stra- maybe Leonard Fournette out of college, but yeah, it's really like the top tier, top ten running backs you get in the top ten, and then you just wait the mid second round or something like that. One hundred percent. I thought it was a decent draft. So we are going to get Kanan up on here in just a few moments. Cannon Justiniano from Sullivan County, New York. Fonz, has he texted you yet? Or yes, he, to get did, him he, up here? he did message me. I'm going to add him on right now. Sounds good. And while we're doing that, uh, in honor of Kanan, let me get this photo up of him on my background. He's going to love this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think he knows what's coming. Uh, but yeah, so we'll talk about the Dallas Cowboys next, guys. Um, Dallas is a team that they finished eight and eight. Let look, th- this is just that this was a team that should have made the playoffs last year, but they didn't. Uh, and I, I think a lot of it was Jer- on Jerry Jones's behalf and just not uh, functioning well as a team. Uh, uh, Kanan, what's up? How's it going? How are you? Good. How are you guys? You see my background and what I got here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? Good. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I know 
there's a lot of thunderstorms up there, so we hope yeah. we got you hooked on we're pretty well here. Watch. We're in a tornado watch right now. Wow. Yeah, oh, you're man, about dude. Two, yeah. <laughs> Canaan is about two hours north of New York City. Um, now, Canaan, can you explain to me who this man is? I know he is. Um, he's a he's a manager up at Maine. Can yeah. Can so um, his name is Al Molnar. You know him and I are very closely work together. Um, you know, I went to a Binghamton game, uh, and well, they were playing Binghamton, and I saw him, and you know, he got me tickets, and you know, we got to chat a little bit, you know. I always bustle. Well, I just found out today it was a manager. I don't know what manager sits at the front of the bench, you know, at division. <laughs> like, you know, if you watch, you know, basketball, you don't see a, a division one manager sitting yeah. in the front of the bench, you know. So I'm about to bust his chops about that. Good. You should. Because, you know, I see everything that he does, you know. I'm, you know, managers don't do what he, you know, what he's doing, you know. But, you know, I'll stay a little quiet. I don't, I don't want to. Say anything to get him or myself in trouble. <laughs> so, Coach, uh, we're here tonight to talk about the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. um, and we wish you and Alan Molnar the best. Um, Thank you. <laughs> my first question to you is: How surprised were you that City Lamb fell to the Cowboys? Do you think this was the steal of the first round, if not the entire draft? I was really surprised. You know, listen, CD Lamb. I, you know in my opinion, is the second best wide receiver in this draft. You know, in my opinion, Jerry Judy's the first, and I think a lot of people would agree with me. Um, You know, I think it's a big steal in the draft. You know, the Cowboys added another weapon. You know, with a weak division that the Cowboys are in, you know, they just added another weapon. You know, a lot of people say he is the best player. Uh, He is the best wide receiver in this draft. You know, his ability to break tackles is ridiculous. He's a strong route runner. And, you know, like I just said, he's the top two wide receiver. Um, His questions I have with him is 40 yard dash wasn't blazing. You know, wasn't blazing. It was a 4.5. You know, I thought it would be a little better. Um, You know, in college, you know, he didn't face a lot of one-on-one, you know, in the Big 12, it's not, it's not the best defense. We all know that, um, you know, so he faced a lot of zone. He didn't face a lot of man coverage. So I'm pretty excited to see how he'll do facing one-on-one coverage in the NFL. 100%. I think City Lamb, arguably, obviously, he was the one receiver in the top three that was not a Bama guy. And I know you probably have him as number three on your list. I had him at two. I had him at two. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I gotcha. Um, but, yeah, I think City Lamb is going to be great for this team. And as a Giants fan, you know that, and especially with what just happened with DeAndre Baker uh, last night, not even 24 hours ago, it's definitely concerning because now you got to guard Mari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and now City Lamb. Mm-hmm. So that Dallas offense is just insane. Uh, and we're still not even mentioning – Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, and Blake Jarwin. Yeah. That is uh, a recipe for disaster if you're an NFC East defense, which is why, you know, you were stressing the Giants going for Isaiah Simmons so that they could have a guy that could, you know, defend against these stud players. And that's definitely an excellent counter argument. Uh, well, let's go on through the rest of the Cowboys list. And the second round pick that they had was your man, Trayvon Diggs out of Alabama. Several mock drafts had this guy as the number one uh, cornerback 
I, I just don't understand why, why did why did he fall so far in, into the second round? Listen, there's times he got exposed. You know, he got exposed against uh, Chase, you know, from LSU. Yeah. And, and, you know, he got exposed badly. And I remember watching that game and saying to myself, oh, my gosh, like this is not good. You know, he – He's really physical. He'll jam you at the line. Uh, he has a, he has a great nose for the football. His size is really good. Um, you know, he gives a lot of wide receiver problems because he jams them. You know, when they want to go, you know, make a make a move or a route or something, you know, he'll jam them right there. And you know, it throws wide receivers off guard. Uh, but what happens is. You know, he gets burned on that second one too many times, you know, so wide receiver will make a move, you know, he'll jam him, but then that second move will kill him. You know, that wide receiver, you know, resets himself and makes that move, you know, he gets burned a lot, and that's not good, and and Chase did that to him, and he got killed in that that, uh, Alabama-LSU game, and it really hurt him. Um, You know, he takes too many risks because, you know, he's a ball Hawking guy, you know, he is. Oh, he's gonna go for it. You know, you like that in a cornerback, but it burned him too many times. It burned yeah. him too many times, and that's a risk that he's willing to take. But it's also gonna burn him. And you know, going going in going in for the Cowboys, you know, he's gonna want to jam guys. And I feel like there's gonna be times he's gonna he's gonna get burned because you know he's gonna go for the ball. Kanan, let's uh, let's follow up on that Trayvon Diggs thought before I get to uh, the rest of my guys here. So him and Reggie Robinson, uh, the Cowboys picked in the first. They picked two cornerbacks in the first four rounds, uh, including Reggie Robinson out of Tulsa. How do they fill in the holes that were left by Byron Jones and safety Jeff Heath? Reggie Robinson, elite speed. You know, I really like him. He's very athletic. His athleticism is off the walls. You know, he's very physical. He had a he had an injury in college, but his junior junior year, I believe. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, junior year. So. Junior, junior year. year. Okay, yes, he had an injury his junior year, but you know, last year he came back and answered strong, and he and he was a conference player of the year. So not conference player. He made first team conference player. My fault. I'm sorry. Um, so you know, he came back. He answered. He answered well. You know, I think. Two physical guys, you know, you can jam wide receivers at the line, you know, but you just got to make sure they don't get burned because both guys, both guys want, uh, you know, are going to go after the ball and take the risk of getting burned. Um, the thing with Reggie is he doesn't like to go up and make a tackle. And, he, yeah. you know, he shies away from contact and he's slow to react. To, you know, when guys get the ball, if it's a pitch to the outside, let's just say it's a Saquon Barkley gets the pitch to the outside. Is he going to be? Is he willing to come up and make that tackle, or is he going to, you know, hope somebody else gets there because you know he shies away from contact? So that's my only question. Hundred uh, percent. I think he's definitely not the best open field tackler, and I think we've seen this case more often than not. Um, Asante Samuel was an excellent corner who could not tackle for his life. So there are corners that can emerge into number one corners that aren't exactly elite tacklers. Uh, Kyle Russo. Kane, just a question for you on the overall spectrum of the Dallas Cowboys draft is did the Dallas Cowboys have a good draft or to the Dallas Cowboys. It seemed like every pick a guy, one of the best players in the draft just fell to him. You know, you watch CD lamb first, then Trayvon Diggs in the second. You look at even a guy, Neville Gallimore, uh, from Oklahoma, falling to him in the third. 
a guy in Tyler Biodies uh, going in the fourth, even Bradley and I in the fifth round. It seems that almost that stance that Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy on the phone. I don't know if you guys remember from the draft. They were sitting yeah. there laughing back. They're like, oh, my God, CeeDee Lamb just fell in our laps. It seems like that was the case scenario for a lot of these Dallas Cowboys picks is that there wasn't much thought process what to it. It's that these guys were the best players left on the board. These were some of the best guys in the entire draft. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, the, the Cowboys, I think, had top three best drafts. You know, yeah. one of the teams that had the best draft. You know, in my opinion, they probably did have the best draft. You know, you just see these guys, they stacked up, you know. So I think they had the best draft, and I think the future is bright with them. But, you know, everything comes around Dak. You know, what's going to happen with Dak? They signed Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's a very good quarterback. You know, we've had that conversation. love Andy Dalton. Yeah, you know. So I think that put pressure on Dak Prescott, you know, to sign. But they have, you know, they have a starting quarterback there. And, you know, just waiting to see what's going on with COVID-19. But I think – Dallas, Dallas Cowboys had the best draft, in my opinion. Uh, before we get to Fonz here, uh, Kyle, I actually want to ask you a question since you brought it up. Um, Neville Gallimore, Tyler Biodaz, and Bradley and A were all A-rated picks, of course, for the Dallas Cowboys. But Tyler Biodaz especially, he could instantly fill in uh, at the center position. And I know Kanan knows this. Um, Travis Frederick, who recently retired, what was your thought process? Uh, actually, Kanan, Kyle, and James, this is all directed at you three. What was everyone's thought process when the Giants passed on Tyler Biodaz to take Darnay Holmes, only to face Biodaz twice a year now? Uh, it was skeptical for sure, but now obviously sitting back less than 24 hours uh, situation with DeAndre Baker, it's almost a, a godsend away because now it seems most likely that Darnay Holmes even though a little bit undersized, you know, we talked about him playing nickel a little bit. He might be the starting corner lined up uh, with uh, Bradbury, considering that uh, Sam Beal, I don't think, is a guarantee at the cornerback position. And the Giants really don't have that many other options. They saw you saw Julian Love last year moving in and out of the cornerback spot, playing a little bit of safety here and there. Um, but at the moment, you know, it, it seemed that the Giants, you know, that was the go-to move. But then you saw later uh, in the fifth round, they wanted to draft Shane Lemieux. It was a good value pick. Um, I did like Biodaz better, uh, but it's it's going to be difficult. It's definitely going to be difficult for this Giants team going forward. When you line up against guys like Biodaz, you go up against guys like uh, Tyron Smith, Martin, it's going to be very difficult, especially when these guys in the Giants necessarily don't have that key edge rusher to get around some of these uh, top offensive linemen that the Dallas Cowboys have. Um, and what they would and what they have had over the course of the last 10 years, they've had one of the best offensive lines, and they just continue to add to that. Fun question for Ken. Yeah, I, it's uh, more of an out-there question. They drafted a, a quarterback in the seventh round, Ben DiNucci from James Madison, and um, like you said, they, they signed Andy Dalton. You were talking about you know that it's pressure for Dak to sign. I just want to know, like, do you think Dak ends up signing a deal or – you know, worst case is Andy Dalton the week one starter with Danucci as your backup. As crazy as that would sound, I think a deal will get done. I do. Um, right now, you know, COVID nineteen. You know, everything's going on with COVID nineteen. Nobody knows. You know, so these guys, 
aren't really able to meet in person, talk, everything's over Zoom calls and stuff like this. But I think they will get a deal done. And if they don't, I think Mike McCarthy's like, okay, we have we have Andy Dalton as our week one quarterback. You know, so worst case scenario, Andy Dalton's your week one quarterback. You have Zeke, you have Gallup, you have Amari Cooper, and you have CD Lamb, you know. And then, you know, if, if Dak wants to sit out for the year and he doesn't want to make a deal, that's on him. You know, Kanan, my head spins every time you bring up Andy Dalton because I think that the day they pay Dak, that elusive, massive contract is the biggest mistake in Cowboys history mm-hmm. because then you're going to cripple yourself for the next year. Uh but um James, you're up. Alrighty. So Dallas ain't my favorite team, but I'll ask the question anyway. Um especially <laughs> this one. Um with Robert Quinn leaving, who's the uh uh guy opposite Lawrence? You asking me? Yeah. I really see Gallimore, you know, he has, I really feel, you know, he has potential to be a division, uh, not a division, um, a first round draft pick. He had the potential. So I really see them plugging him in there, see what he can do. You know, he has great speed. He's able to beat a, a guard or a tackle one-on-one, you know, so his, his speed's at a elite level. Um, he's able to make a, make a lot of sacks because of his one-on-one speed. Um, I think he'll actually, this might sound weird, but I really do think he'll get more sacks than what we, than what we might expect or what the Cowboys expect because of his speed, because he can get off the ball fast because he'll be able to make a move. So I, like I was really high on him and I liked him at Oklahoma. I remember that play he had at Baylor. I don't know if you guys remember is when he got off, um, when he got off the, uh, the line quicker and he ran that. He ran that running back down and made a terrific tr- a tackle. You know, running down a running back. You know, this is at, this is at a Division One program. It's not like he's he's in high school. You know, so that that right there, I was like, oh, who is this guy? And I watched him. I was like, oh, he's really good. You know, he needs to work on his technique. You know, uh, there's times where he is at us out of place with his technique, and he gets pushed around because he's not in the right spot or he doesn't make the right move. You know, there's times he'll go for a swim and then a guy would just push him off the ball. And it's like, you know, like, what are you doing? But, you know, if he works on his technique and that comes from coaching, you know, I was telling Tom a couple weeks ago, like, you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, who, you know, we say stink. They're not good. But then they go to another team and then they end up being successful. You know, we, we, we attack the player right away, but it really comes down to coaching, you know, coaching at the professional level, too. You know, how, how do how do coaches, you know, get players to perform well? You know, how do you get guys who are not supposed to be really good, you know, perform at a high level? And I really believe that if Mike McCarthy and his staff works with him, he has a chance to be really good because, in my opinion, he's potential. He was a potential first. Well, he could be a first round draft pick. Yeah. He, you know, he, he has potential to be a first round draft pick. So if he comes out here and he co- and he's coached well, you know, he learns, you know, he has a chance to be really good. 
And coach, coach, uh, you bring up Neville Gallimore. I know he's more of an interior guy who can play outside in the three, four, but you also have Bradley and a, and I know those were the two big defensive line picks up in those trenches. They also lost not just uh, Robert Quinn, but they lost Malik Collins as well. Uh, I know you talked about Gallimore, but do you see Ane as a guy, as James alluded to, can he start opposite Lawrence, or do you see him more as a rotational third-round guy, like how the Giants used to use Matthias Kiwanuka and Dave Tollefson? I think he's going to be rotation. Rotation. Yeah. Start off the season rotation. Who's going to be Who's going to be able to help us? Who's, you know, who's going to be able to help us? I feel like that's what they're going to do, more of a rotation. Um, good answer. Do, do you have any questions uh, about – us about the Dallas Cowboys and what we think. Cause I'll be honest with you. I think uh, we're all pretty much in agreement. as this is a top two to three draft easily. Yes. Um, do you feel like the Cowboys are going to be able to get over the hump and make the playoffs? Like last year, I know a lot of people were high on the Cowboys to make the playoffs and maybe potential make a deep run. You think that could happen this year? Because now that look at the draft, they just put up with their coach. Well, you think they have a chance to make a deep run and even win a Super Bowl? I definitely think there's a, a shot. I definitely think so, but it's kind of the history of the Cowboys where it's like, on paper, yes, they have probably one of the better teams, and then they end up starting off really slow, and then get hot at the right time, and then go back down again. So it's like yeah. an up and down thing. It's kind of thing where I need to kind of see it. I, they have a great roster. Don't get me wrong. The draft was very good. They have a lot of skill players and a great defense, but I need to see it in a couple of weeks, like in a couple yeah. weeks of the season. I need to see how they do to say, all right, they can definitely make it deeper on the playoffs. This is the problem, Kanan. You got the Saints. You got the Bucks. You got the Packers. You got the Vikings. You got the Seahawks. You have the 49ers. Dallas is not better than any of those teams. I don't know. No I, way. I think I think they could be. The problem is, is that well, I, I think I alluded to it last week as well, is that that personally, I don't know what people have against Dak. I, I don't get it. But People don't like him, I guess, you know, necessarily holding out those rumors that he didn't want to sign a $35 million a year contract and he wants more. I don't think he deserves more than that. I don't think he deserves to set the bar for the quarterback market. But aside from that, Dak has never really had a consistent stance of, uh, of weaponry. You know, here's a guy in Amari Cooper just being traded over from the Raiders. He's only played a year and a half with him. Des Bryant never really clicked. Jason Witten having a year with him, then retiring, then coming back out of retirement. Now he's not there anymore. Blake Jarwin's your starting guy. Ezekiel Elliott getting suspended, him holding out for money, him holding out for a contract, the offensive line not being healthy. Now you don't know what the situation is going to be with the quarterback starting because, again, I'm going to bring it up again like I did last week. It doesn't make sense to sign Andy Dalton, especially when Andy Dalton could have got a guaranteed start if he signed with other teams that were more interested in him, like the Jacksonville Jaguars and even potentially the New England Patriots. With Dak Prescott, I think with Mike McCarthy, because another reason why the Dallas Cowboys, and I think we could all agree with this, why the Dallas Cowboys didn't get over that hump was because Jason Garrett got 100 million chances. Mike McCarthy has been to the Super Bowl. Mike McCarthy has won a Super Bowl. Mike McCarthy has been to the playoffs multiple times. I think that that's the guy, not that it's going to win you the Super Bowl. I don't think the Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl. But I would not be surprised if they push NFC Championship. I really would not be. But Dak, in my personal opinion, has to be the starter. It can't be Andy Dalton. Because Dak has been the guy that's built consistency with this team. But I do think they could push. 
Kanan, we have had this argument multiple times, right? And I personally think that Cam Newton would be more successful in Dallas than Dak, to be quite frank with you. Wow. Kanan, are you there? I hear you. Yeah, I'm listening. (laughs) You might have been the one that proposed this idea to me, actually. And, you know, I'm starting to think about it now, and it just makes sense because I, I, I think Cam, you know, Cam was always in Carolina, never had a lot of weapons. Dak has had the weapons. He's had the offensive line. I, I mean, look, it's very hard because obviously the catalyst to this problem was more than likely Jason Garrett, right? But now Jason Garrett is gone. So now there's more pressure on Dak than ever. But does Dak get a lot of unfair criticism? Yes, he does. But at the same time, uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I'm still not sold on Dak Prescott. I, I don't. I don't think he's a top ten quarterback. I don't. Uh, personally, to be honest with you, I, I think Dak's window in the NFL is much shorter than a lot of these other guys, than a lot of these other young players around the NFL. What do you think about that, Ken? I agree a hundred percent with you that he's not a top ten quarterback. I know Kyle's like probably sitting there rolling his eyes. Saying, the is- man went thirteen and three in his rookie season, and Jerry Jones was still calling for Tony Romo to be the starter. I mean, what more can you do? And then we remember no. Dak would have reached Dak would have reached the NFC Championship in year one if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers being the god that he is and hitting Jared Cook with a toe tap on on the line of scrimmage uh, for the first down. Dallas would have went to the NFC Championship in Dak's rookie season. And Just we've remember, Rex Grossman started a Super Bowl, guys. Trent Dilfer did too. Fonz. Cannon. Trent Dilfer coach. won. Yeah. Coach. Stop, Fonz. Oh, <laughs> coach, go on, please. <laughs> I, I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback. I can name 10 quarterbacks in the league right now that are better than him, yeah. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So in my so I don't think he's a top ten quarterback. To be honest, I I was the one that told you, Tom. If I'm the Cowboys, I'm signing Cam Newton cheap. We can get him from dirt cheap. You know he's right there on the clearance rack. You know you can grab him. You know you he's I think he's better than <clears throat> he's better than um. He's better than Dak Prescott. The only thing about him is, is he healthy? You know I understand Dak Prescott's loyal. He's there every day. You know he does everything. You know, he needs to do, you know, but so are a lot of other guys. And I think Cam Newton would would be better fit than Andy Dolan and Dak Prescott in that, you know, in a system where you can run a lot of RPOs. You know, when healthy, Cam Newton can put up MVP type numbers. When healthy, Cam Newton can put up MVP type numbers. Listen, I'm an Alabama fan. I do not like. Cam Newton. We've got a debate right here. <laughs> but I do not like Cam Newton, but you know, I think he's he'd be a better fit and a better player in the Dallas Cowboys system, you know. He when healthy, he can go he um he's the MVP type, you know. So that's just my that's my opinion. You get him you run an RPO with C D Lamb and Amari Cooper with Ezekiel Elliott and Cam Newton, healthy, you get him to avoid big hits, that's that's a powerful offense right there. I don't I don't like I don't like it. Cam Cam Newton's a great player. 
But you're not going to tell me that at 30, going to be 31 years old, that there's going to be a lot of RPOs for him to run. His, his body's taken plenty enough hits, and that's why he's injured in the first place. I mean, even in his MVP season, we're talking about quarterback. Uh, listen, I love a versatile quarterback, a guy that can run the ball and then will put his body on the line. But even in his MVP season, less than 60% completion percentage. That's not the quarterback that I want in any meaningful game. The reason why he had that MVP-like season is because he was the guy that put his body on the line and got those first downs because when you got a six-foot-five truck running in, it's guaranteed almost a first down every single time, and that's exactly what happened up until the Super Bowl when we all know what happened. A, a affordable, one of the best defenses of the decade came in and shut him down completely and forced him to play quarterback. And when I they think... forced him to play quarterback, his weakness showed, and that's that he's not an accurate quarterback. I wouldn't, and Dak has been everything but that. He's a guy that hasn't thrown interceptions. He's the guy that throws a lot of touchdowns. He's a guy that makes smart choices with the ball. With the ball, he's a guy that doesn't fumble the ball when he gets hit on those run plays. I, I just I think he's the way better quarterback, younger option, healthier option. Yes, he's less expensive at this point in time. But what are you getting in a thirty-one-year-old Cam Newton? I got a question for you. Is his is was Cam Newton's offensive line ever as good as Dak Prescott's offensive line was? No, it wasn't. No. So you put him in that role with a great offensive line, and, you know, you can get him to rush 12, uh, 12 yards, get it out of bounds, get down. You know, if he can get down and avoid those hits, I think he would be a better, you know, I think he'd be a better option than Dak Prescott. You know, he's got to avoid taking those hits. You know, uh, of course, if anybody takes a, a hit from six four, two 265 pounds, everybody's going to get injured. That's why when we look at the injury list at week two, there's there's so many people on that list. You know, yeah. so it all comes no matter down. no matter how good the offensive line is, though, is that am I seeing Cam Newton's completion percentage jump up 10 percentage points? Because that's where Dax is at right now. Dak is right in that 66 range. Cam Newton had some of his uh, his highest completion percentage ever was sixty one percent. Can 61%. we also make the argument though that Cam Newton's wide receivers had the second highest percentage of drop balls from the span of two thousand eleven to two thousand sixteen, forcing him to run the ball. Fon, we also have to Fon take said, that into consideration as well. I think I think Fon said you know he said something earlier when I asked about the Cowboys. They're always up on a roller coaster, right? Yeah, they, right. They are. You start, they always it's like a five game winning streak, and then all of a sudden lose three in a row by like by ten plus points, and then they win more. It's like up and down. You never know. It's like a different team every week. Yeah. So and who's in charge of the offense? Here's my problem. Go Tom. Go Tom. Uh, no, sorry. I was just, I was just gonna say. Now that Jason Garrett is gone, Dak is in the front seat of that roller coaster, and he is going to have to adapt. To a new head coach, we don't know what type of system is going to be run now with McCarthy. Uh, from what I've seen in Green Bay, it's going to be different from what they ran in Dallas. Um, and you look at the numbers that Dak put up, and you look at the tape, and you see Dak flourished in Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore's system. Will he be able to do the same with McCarthy? And I think Dallas on paper had a top five roster last year in terms of NFL talent. I think we could all agree with that. Uh, but 
This is a debate we're going to have for weeks to come. But, Keenan, I want to get in one last question on the draft here. Um, personally, who who do you think – who was your favorite pick that Dallas took that will have the most immediate impact for them heading into 2020? I think it's – I think it's C.D. Lamb. I do. You know, C.D. Lamb. You know, you added another weapon to that offense. So now you, you can't just key on the run and say, you know what, let's have Amari Cooper beat us. You know, and, and now you just can't say, you know what, let's just focus on Amari Cooper and let's see what Michael Gallup does. You know, where Michael Gallup's going to be the one that beats us. Now you have C.D. Lamb step in that role and it's like, okay – now you you can't you can't you can't shut them all down. So now you know you you're gonna yeah. have to take a risk. And I think CD Lamb's gonna be, of you know I think he's gonna be very good for the Dallas Cowboys, and that's a great pickup. But also I like Trayvon Diggs. I do. I think you know if he coaching's like I said before coaching. If he can be coached the right way, I'm not saying he wasn't. Co- obviously he was coached well at Alabama. You know, um, Nick Saban's one of the greatest of all time. But, you know, if he can just keep on learning, keep on learning, keep on learning and be coached and be coached well and make smart decisions, you know, I think he has a chance to be really good for that defense. And Jayden, um we do have to let you go here, but uh, we, we, we just wanted to see uh, what your final thoughts were on that. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, no, we really appreciate it. And I know you also do a lot of work at Hoop Group, which I definitely want to talk about in weeks to come. I know we have the NBA draft coming up. And there's I, I want to talk about the transfer portal a little bit, too, because I know that's your bread and butter over at Hoop Group. So I, I know you work with a lot of these high-profile guys. So I definitely want to get your background and culture on that. Um, within within the next couple of weeks, but yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I know I know you're fighting the uh, the weather bug up there right now, but yeah, appreciate it. Alert. Yeah, thank you guys. Have a good rest of your night. Stay you safe, too, Ken. Thank you. Thank you. I was Ken and Justiniano from Sullivan County, New York, and wow, Coach knows how to let it rip. <laughs> and uh, Cam, the Cam, the Cam Newton, Dak Prescott debate, that's going to be interesting, but it'll probably never come to life because Andy Dalton's the number two quarterback there. Uh, and that's not changing anytime soon. So let's get to those Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles finished nine and seven. They made the playoffs. They lost in the wild card round to the Seattle Seahawks at home, 17 to nine. Josh McCown, guys, made his first career NFL playoff appearance at 40 years old. Uh, this was pretty much the emotional string that pulled on me in the playoffs is seeing a 40-year-old cry at the end of the game. And I'll be honest with you, Josh McCown put up a damn good fight in that game against the Seattle Seahawks. You can tell that dude gave it everything that he had for those Philadelphia Eagles. Definitely yeah, did. do. A lot of injuries there, and uh, took they actually filled, some uh, somewhat filled the needs, maybe with the wrong players. But yeah, we'll get into the draft picks in just a second. Yeah, well, well, actually, let's get into it right now. All right, number one, they take Jay, they take Jalen Rager, number twenty-one overall, and James, 
your buddy Bob did not like this pick. What was what didn't sit well with this pick uh, with you if you're the Philadelphia Eagles? You know, the, there was a lot of better other wide receivers, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, they filled a hole, but to be honest, I don't think he was the right guy. I'm blanking on who they should have went with. Um, Justin it, Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Yeah. We all said Jefferson. Yeah, pretty go. much. Justin Jefferson. Yeah, another right Jefferson guy. And they didn't. And that that's going to bite them in the butt uh, to come because this this Eagles team needed more wide receivers as we saw in that wild card game, as we saw as the season progressed. I mean, they addressed it with another with the first round and the sixth round, which we'll cover in a little bit. Um, oh, and the fifth round. But at the same time, it it wasn't the right guy. I would happen to agree with that. But I will say this. it's This pick's getting a lot of unfair heat and criticism because I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I think Jalen Rager fits the system a little bit better than Justin Jefferson, especially when you have the Sean Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey coming back, who are your two wide receivers um, on each side of the formation. Now, I understand both those guys are well over 30 years old. However, if you really think about this, guys, what was Philadelphia missing last year? A pass catcher. Jalen Rager did not drop passes at TCU, and I think this pick is a lot better than what it's getting credit for. I think the problem is, though, yeah, Justin Jefferson was the best wide receiver on the board. There's no doubting that. Um but if I'm if I'm a Giants fan, I'm I'm kind of excited they took Rager because it's not like a mind blowing pick. If they took Justin Jefferson, you're gonna be like, Oh no, this is just another guy that James Bradbury and whoever the number two corner is now has to worry about twice a year. Well the other thing with Rager is and I believe this I believe this is true, but didn't he he had the fastest combine speed this year? If I if I'm I believe correct. he was up there one of, if not the, you might be right. Yes. Right. So, yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's uh, for, one for, or two. Yeah. for some reason that's, that's more attractive than anything, you know, uh, whether it's agility, uh, pass catching ability, route running, it's, it's speed in all these GMs minds. That's more attractive than anything. I think Justin Jefferson was the better overall receiver, but Jalen Rager is going to be a nightmare. If he pans out to be a speedster in the NFL, um, if that's going to be his main role, whether it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's a rough it's a rough case scenario to go with because it's it's basically the flip of a coin. You know, you're either going to get Tyreek Hill or you're going to get uh, John Ross. That, that's the case scenario with this type of player is that he's not the best pass catcher. Yes, he doesn't drop a lot of passes. He's not the best route runner. He's not the biggest receiver out there. But speed is on his side. Now, granted, will that help when it comes down the line to getting hit? Because again, he is a smaller guy. And that's definitely going to hurt him in big secondaries, in uh, big backfields that are going to hit him across the uh, when Pat when Pat's are thrown across to the middle of the field. It's going to hurt him definitely. But speed is one thing that's definitely on this side. Tom, I'd have to agree with you. There's nothing wrong with this guy. You know, uh, people are for this sole pick alone. You know, not even the second round pick, which we'll get into in a few moments. But people are rating this Eagles draft as horrible just based on this pick alone. Meanwhile, if Eagles fans just got Justin Jefferson, you know, they'd be happy with it they'd be happy with it. I know we would. I mean, I'm pretty sure almost all of us had Justin Jefferson in our mock drafts going to the Eagles. Yeah. I'm almost positive. And, and like I said before, a lot of people would have been happy with that because he was the best receiver left on the board. But if this is who the Eagles guy is, this is who the Eagles guy is. 
You know, this was the Eagles' weakness. All Sean Jeffrey last year out. Either you had a guy in Greg Ward being the number one target for, for Carson Wentz in week 16 going Sam into the playoffs. Perkins. Sam Perkins. It's, they, they, they lost everybody. Deshaun Jackson, he got hurt in weeks two or three and never came back. They had to get the offense. Guy. The offense was pretty much down to Carson Wentz, Zach Ertz, and Miles Sanders the last eight games of the season. Yeah. Now, funds, uh, and I want, I want to get to you here. My, my, my problem with the Jalen Rager pick, it's not Jalen Rager, and it's not passing on Justin Jefferson. My problem with this pick is I think they should have traded up to get one of the top three wide receivers, as in Lamb, Ruggs, or uh, Judy. I think that's what they should have done, if I'm being honest with you. No, I definitely agree. But, I mean, it was kind of when Ruggs was taken, then Judy, then Lamb. I mean, I think the next option for them was a Justin Jefferson, especially because they're going to get rid of more – well, talks of getting rid of Alshon Jeffrey, and who knows if Deshaun Jackson's going to be there for another year. I think Jefferson would have been a perfect fit to replace that Al- Alshon Jeffrey type. But I guess with Rieger going there, they're probably keen on keeping Jeffrey and having Rieger as the speed option with Deshaun Jackson. Um, I mean, still, I mean, it's an okay pick, yeah, but I had Rieger going in more in the second round when you had guys like Jefferson, even Brendan Ayuk, Denzel Mims, uh, KJ Hammer, just to name a few. I think those were kind of maybe better options than Rieger. I just wasn't as keen on him because he was injured a lot at TCU, but he, he is fast, don't get me wrong, but just the injuries could be a concern for him. So we'll get to the other wide receiver Philadelphia took in just a few moments, but Jalen Hurts. So they went back to back with Jalen guys. Jalen Hurts, quarterback out of Oklahoma, started his career at Bama, then transferred. How bad was this pick? This is nothing against Jalen Hurts, but you have a top 10 quarterback in Carson Wentz in, in this league. Yeah. And you're potentially drafting his successor. This makes no sense at all, unless they have well, some type of master plan here. I mean, remember that Carson Wentz gets hurt quite That's often. Fun. So to have a draft in a second round, the quarterback, I mean, it's a, it's smart. That way you don't have like a 40-year-old quarterback if you do make it to the playoffs playing the playoffs. Um, but the I see where you're coming from, Tom. I James, this is nothing against Carson Wentz getting hurt. Look, I know the guy gets hurt. Uh, I just don't think it's necessary to draft the backup quarterback and prioritize that when you have other needs on a defense. Sorry, Kyle, go ahead. I think that the reasoning behind the drafting of Jalen Hurts, you know, he, uh, bigger than uh, – a lot of people aren't even talking about it, is that what's weird about this whole thing is not even the fact that you have Carson Wentz, but the fact that you have Carson Wentz and you just signed him to a massive extension just a season ago. So it's showing that you're invested in long-term, but draft a, a quarterback in the second round that could potentially start, you know, make push for that edge. But Jalen hurts. What I believe Howie Roseman loved in him so much was that not at Alabama. Once he got to Oklahoma and granted those defenses, um, in the Big 12 aren't the best. He was on pace to win the Heisman. He was he, he's gonna. Did he win the Heisman? Did he he did win the Heisman? No, he, he did. I think he should have won it. Burrow ended up winning it because he had that Burrow won. Oh season. my god! But no, but oh I mean, for the first like six seven weeks of the season, I had Hurts winning the Heisman with East because he was unstoppable those first weeks. And Burrow, of course, had that 
tremendous stretch towards the tail end that kind of helped his case. What they, what I believe they liked about him so much was that he he was that versatile guy that Carson once once was. You know, once he got hurt that first time against the Rams uh, in week what was it, week fifteen, week sixteen, yeah. a couple years back, uh, the year they went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl, he lost that edge that made him that MVP choice was that he could run the ball, and now we don't see that anymore. He's strictly uh, a pocket passer, and now that that's a bad thing. But with an offensive line that's aging and seeming to crumble at the minute. You know, we'll talk about it in a few minutes as well. They didn't really address the offensive line or take such a high priority in protecting the quarterback necessarily, um, except for in the later rounds. But having a guy that can avoid these edge rushers coming in, because that's what Jalen Hurts was known for at Alabama and even Oklahoma, was being able to get first downs with his legs, not only his arm. And I think that, you know, Howie Roseman, he talked about it after the draft too. He alluded to the fact that he wanted to draft Russell Wilson when Russell Wilson um, – was being drafted back in 2011, 2012, I want to say, and they passed on him. And if this is their guy, this is their guy, like James said as well, Carson Wentz being as injury-prone as he is, you need a backup, and I think this is a great option. Even though it's a second-round value pick and you could have addressed other needs, I see why they did it. I don't at all. I think it's a brain-dead move. Uh, This is not something you do in an NFL draft. You don't take a backup quarterback. In the second round, when your star quarterback is 25 years old, 26 years old, uh, I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. And this is why the Eagles are not going anywhere for quite some time, because they continue to not address the biggest needs on their team. They don't address the biggest needs on their team. They they haven't re-signed Jason Peters. Their center just retired. Philomoti Vitae just signed a five-year deal with the Detroit Lions. They lost three offensive linemen, and they compensate with Jack Driscoll, a guard out of Auburn. That's Jason not Kelsey retired? Enough. Jason yeah. Kelsey retired? He did? Yeah. I'm sorry. That. Frederick retired, not Kelsey. I, I don't think – there was a center who retired and then unretired. I don't know if that was Jason Kelsey. There was Maybe rumors that he was, was going to retire, but then he decided to come back. There's a rumor going on that he was considering it. Well, here's the thing. He is 32 years old, so he's not too far off from that. So and Jason Peters is 38. So, I mean, I mean, you can't well, – what's the long-term investment there? You know, he's still on the market. Maybe they put a one-year deal into him, but what are you going to do with him at the end of the day long-term? Right. Well, the point is you have to replace him. You have to oh, replace yeah, no him. doubt. No that's doubt. The bottom line. And they lost Vitae, who was excellent for them. Uh-huh. Uh, overall here, guys – this is something that you really have to consider, too, when talking about the Philadelphia Eagles. They drafted Davion Taylor, an outside linebacker out of Colorado. That's great. You helped the defense out a little bit, right? Yeah. Cool. And then they take Kevon Wallace, a safety, out of Clemson because they just lost Malcolm Jenkins. So they go two defensive guys in a row. And then they counter that with Jack Driscoll, guard out of Auburn. My, my problem with um, the Jack Driscoll pick is where does he fit on this line? Because I believe... I don't know if he was a guard or a tackle at Auburn, but he's probably going to have to learn a new position. They also drafted Prince Tega Wanogo from also from Auburn. These guys were teammates in college. So now you're starting to sit here and say to yourself, are these two guys instantly week one starters? Are these two rookies who were just drafted going to start on this line? Quite frankly, there's a chance they might. We're talking about a seventh round pick and a fourth round pick starting week one for Philadelphia. 
I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. The Eagles were able to go nine and seven with guys that they were pulling off the street and, and, a, and, a, and, a, um, and a Zach Ertz who was breaking a rib a week in and week out. He was playing with broken ribs in the playoffs and still managed to put up tremendous numbers. You had a Dallas Goddard that was dropping passes every time he was throwing the ball, and they still managed to win the division and make it to the playoffs. I mean, they've been in worse situations before. That's why I'm not seeing it as that much of a um, – yeah, they didn't address necessarily everything that they should have, but they've been in that situation before. Is that the right thing to do, to consistently do that to your quarterback? No. But because they've had success in the past under adversity, it, I, I don't really see a problem with the Eagles team going 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, and seven again this year. I, I really don't. I don't see a problem with it either, especially with what who they have at the quarterback position and the weapons that they did add on offense in this draft. Speaking of weapons, obviously Driscoll's fourth-round comp pick. Fifth round via New England, they select John Hightower, wide Boise State. Now, Fonz, I don't know if you, Kyle, or James, did anything on this guy, but the thing I know about John Hightower is he's decently sized and he has decent hands as well. Yeah, not not a bad player. Um, could definitely contribute uh, to the Eagles. Uh, Special teams, maybe, or um, just eventually uh, to be a starter. Uh, not a bad selection. Yeah. The Eagles didn't make that many bad. I mean, after the first two, the picks were like decent. They filled the needs they needed to do. It was kind of more of those yeah. first two picks. Everyone's like, kind of like, oh, like, oh, like this is a bad draft. Right. Uh, my my thing is too. This guy kind of flies under the radar because he's six one and he only had like thirty something catches last year for Boise State. But the thing I noticed too, guys. Why do guys drop? The draft is biased. Teams and Kanan brought this up to me via a phone call. Excuse me, a couple days ago. Teams will look at SEC backups before Pac-12 starters. That's just the reality of the situation. Like you look at a guy like um, I don't know. Let's just say Trayvon Diggs, right? A guy who was a first-round talent. Uh, I think he had an injury, and then all of a sudden. You know, he was a backup, and then he became a starter again. So uh, that, that wasn't the best example, but you guys get the point. Guys who are not playing as much in the SEC are getting looked at before these lower guys. So to see a Boise State guy go in the fifth round is great. How can Hightower contribute to the Eagles? Well, now you add him with Rager, and then you bring Jackson and uh, Jeffrey back. You hope they can stay healthy. That's not a bad core to have uh, in terms of complementing uh, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. So, I mean, I think that's something they could look forward to. I, I really like their sixth-round pick. They had two sixth-round picks via the Chicago Bears. Sean Bradley, linebacker at a temple, grew up an Eagles fan. He's from the area. I know the Giants were looking at this guy. Kyle, I know you had your eyes set on him as well as a potential late-round flyer. Sean Bradley is a guy that could really, really bring it. I really like this pick for Philadelphia. I think they nailed a lot of their late-round picks from four downward, to be honest with you. No, I would definitely have to agree with you. I mean, uh, again, a guy in Sean Bradley, I know when the Giants were scouting him, I believe he was a guy that the Giants were looking at potentially for a fourth or fifth round uh, type of talent. And for the Eagles to get him in the sixth round when they did, it was definitely um, very beneficial for the team, considering that they don't really have that great of a, of a, of a defensive core anymore. They, they don't have that. A lot of the defensive guys are gone. A lot of them are gone. You know, they, they released Malcolm Jenkins, uh, Ronald Darby's now with the Redskins. Uh, 
They've lost a decent amount of guys on the defensive side of the ball since the Super Bowl. This is definitely a good acquisition for them. I agree. And, uh, yeah, shout-out John Ontoweger. I know you're a Sooner fan. Uh, I know you're a big Jalen Hurts guy. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully he's successful in Philadelphia. We'll see what happens there. I, I do like your point, though, on Bradley and the late-round guys the Eagles picked. Quez Watkins, the third wide receiver from uh, – this is a pick via Chicago. Again, this was just four picks after the Sean Bradley pick. Uh, Quez Watkins, wide receiver from Southern – miss uh i forgot they took a third wide receiver um but yeah this guy is really good too um he's somewhat quick he's a decent route runner and he can find open space so now if you're philadelphia you guys are right this is a team that could potentially steal the division again if things go well uh if dallas falls apart somehow i think it's a race between dallas and philly but i'm gonna be honest uh I don't. I don't see the other two teams making much noise in this division. But if you're Philadelphia, the what really the big problem was was the first couple of picks of the draft, and as far as where they got them, they nailed the bottom half of this draft, guys. They filled their needs. They did what they had to do, and they rounded it out with a seventh round pick via the Chicago Bears and Casey Tuhill, an offensive linebacker out of Stanford. This was an okay pick. This is probably around the range he was projected to go. Again, you know, you're, you're, you're playing out west in, you know, the pack, and you're not going to get drafted as high. You know, I, it's no bias or anything. That's just the re- reality of the situation. The best recruits will go to conferences like the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12. Uh, just the reality here. But uh, good luck to Philadelphia. I know um, – Super Bowl Nation uh, named Philadelphia one of the biggest losers of the NFL draft. What are your thoughts on that? I wouldn't necessarily call them one of the biggest losers. I definitely think they're in the second tier of teams, but more towards the middle of the pack. I agree. I, think, I, I would. I mean, I don't think they're the big losers, but I mean, obviously the first two picks matter a lot more than, say, your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. Uh, so mm-hmm. I definitely think that helps that – worsens their cause actually as for the worst draft picks i mean after jalen hurts i did like a lot of their picks like you mentioned uh kevon wallace i was a fan of quest Watkins too his later round picks there they were okay i think it's the first two picks kind of hurts their cause yeah i completely agree with that um let's move on to our last couple of blocks of the night the nfl 2020 schedule was released i we're actually going to talk more about this next week but I know the Giants have uh, – they open up odd against Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football, and then they have the Chicago Bears. Kyle, it seems to be a rough start for those New York football Giants this year with their schedule. There is not there's not a lot of room for mistakes for the Giants within the schedule. I'll, I'll tell you that. So week one, Tom, you alluded to it. The, they play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then they go to Soldier Field. Then they play San Francisco week three. Week four, they're at the L.A. Rams in their new stadium um week five at dallas at dallas week six against washington at home week seven at philly week eight at home against uh tampa bay uh week nine (laughs) at washington uh week 10 against philadelphia they got a bye week week 11 um a little bit of a late bye week this year for the giants they've had earlier bye weeks in the past uh nice little transition into week 12 they go to cincinnati you know, we'll see what Joe Burrow is at that point in time. Then they go to Seattle. 
then they play week 14 against Arizona. Week 15 at home against Cleveland. They travel to Baltimore week 16. Win for your Ravens fans. And then week 17 rounded out uh, against the Dallas Cowboys at home. Hey, not- just remember one thing. Just remember one thing. Any team can win on any given Sunday. Except for the Giants. <laughs> All right. Negative Nilly. Um, Fonz, you know, and look, I understand you're the only team to ever beat the Giants in a Super Bowl, but how good does it feel <laughs> to have the Giants on your schedule in week 16? And uh, dive into what the Ravens. Oh, well, it does feel good. It's a good way to, to end the season. Actually, the last three games, Jacksonville, Giants, and at Bengals to conclude the season. Uh, I'll, <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, I'll quickly go over the schedule. I don't want to go too long here on this one. So Cleveland Browns to start the good. season. Then they're at Houston. Then Kansas City Monday night at Washington. Cincinnati Bengals, home to the Bengals. At Philadelphia, home to the Steelers by week in week eight. Right smack dab in the middle. Perfect there. This is the stretch where I'm a little bit worried about. At Colts, at Patriots, home to the Titans, at Pittsburgh, Thanksgiving night, and then a week later, Dallas on Thursday, the week after Thanksgiving. And then, then, though, that's the week where I'm a little bit worried. And then you got at Cleveland, Jacksonville, Giants, then at Bengals. I personally think Baltimore wins 12 to 13 games. They could possibly reach 14 again with that schedule if all goes according to plan, everyone stays healthy. I really like what the Ravens got. I know the Giants don't have a divisional game till week five. I believe the Ravens have the Browns within the first couple of games, you said, yeah, right? They have the Bengals the, and the Browns. Week first. one, Browns. Week five, Bengals. So the gotcha. first, first, yeah, first so got two games. Their divisional games are a little bit more spread out is where the Giants are kind of clumped more together. Uh, speaking of the Giants, not good news coming out of New York last night. There's an arrest warrant being charged for... Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar and mm-hmm. New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker. Tom, yes, I, I do want to uh, ESPN came out with a thing uh, two hours ago. Dumb, uh, Dubar's attorney says he has five statements from witnesses that say he had no role in alleged arm robbery. Okay. He was still there, though, correct? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Interesting. Uh, that's that's very that's very interesting learning that. But um, the armed robbery charge, DeAndre Baker. This was a guy who was rumored last year as a rookie to fall asleep in meetings periodically. Uh, a guy Jesus. to show up late in practice. I know Pat Shermer was a good guy, but look, this is not something that uh, you would say is copacetic for an NFL team. And quite frankly, learning under Janoris Jenkins, he was not the best tutor and mentor. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if he'll even get the opportunity to learn under uh, James Bradbury. But the problem is the Giants will release him. They lose. They take a seven and a half million cap hit. Yep. That, that's the that, that's the problem. So now the Giants, pretty much, you have to keep this guy on the roster. And uh, Mike DeSanto, yes, I completely agree with you and understand your comment, but... Do you put morals before a seven and a half million dollar cap hit? Uh, and yeah, Alec Walt, that is correct. Logan Ryan knows the defense. He knows the Patriot way. Uh, will Joe Judge implement that uh, into the Giants? We'll see because he dealt with a lot of defensive players. So <sighs> DeAndre Baker was toast all year. Pretty much he lived up to his name. He got baked in coverage throughout the whole season. He was one of the worst cover corners in the NFL, no pun intended. But is what it is. 
You got an uh, NFL. You got an NFL yeah. contract, and you're you're robbing somebody for. I think he stole a total of forty thousand dollars worth of jewelry. Really? Yeah. It's it's tough. It's I tough. Just, but wow. He stole a Rolex and a Bulova. We're talking oh, about not having sports for a while. We're talking about these bad things happening to New York sports players and whatnot. Uh, but the MLB, the owners, they agreed to um, a 2020 season plan. They're approving for a July start. Look, that this is all hearsay right now. There is nothing set in stone yet, but it's pretty much probably going to look like an 82-game regional schedule with a, uni- with a universal DH. So pitchers will be protected. They will not hit all year long. There will be 30-man active rosters and a 20-player taxi squad, which is basically replacement players. Uh, that you can use, I guess, due to potential illness and what they're fearing with this virus and whatnot. They want to have that 20-player squad. Um, 14 teams in the postseason, so seven in each conference, and games will be played in the home cities in October. So they're hoping they can have, and my problem is, look, City Field is not even bearable right now. You're in the mecca of the coronavirus in Flushing. Uh, That's... That's definitely concerning. Not saying the Mets will make the playoffs, but definitely an alarming sight. There's also a 50-50 revenue split between the players and the owners. There's also going to be players asked to take some salary cuts. That's the reality of the situation. But at least there's somewhat of plan intact. I know baseball should be about a month and a half in right now, technically. Uh, What are you guys' thoughts on that, on this whole uh, proposal thing? It's going to be very interesting because I think there's going to be a lot of argumentation with players, and we already see that. Uh, a guy in Bryce Harper who's making one of the most lucrative contracts in baseball history is claiming that you know he wants all of his money that he's owed, that he signed for. He's not taking a pay cut. And when you see a guy of that stature and the contract that he has, what is it going to be like for the guys that are only making $5 million a year? Not saying that that's not a lot, but you know, for the league, it's not necessarily – up there in contract wise it's going to be really interesting and then just the true genuine players who don't want to take the risk of getting sick you know some players have reached out and have spoken and have said that unless it's 100 percent guaranteed i'm not playing it's going to be interesting that's what blake snell said uh like santo just commented again i know he wasn't the only player that said it there's a couple of players that said they will not play if they have to yeah. take these cuts so you're yeah. going to see some withdrawals potentially this season it's going to be very concerning uh, James, and this is going to be very interesting too because you're starting to see now that this may. My biggest concern is you don't want this to affect the 2021 season. You kind of want to get this out of the way now and spill over. 100% agreed. Um, you know, none of us want to go into 2021 with this hanging over our heads as we do, we wake up every morning too. Um, so we would like, I mean, myself would like to see, get some, have something get done, but you look at the, this through across all the, uh, big platform forms of sports, NBA, NHL, MLB, uh, right now NFL isn't really involved because their season hasn't started yet or is coming close to starting it. Um, so 
it, it should be interesting because you also have to look at revenue splits with uh, the big cities compared to the small cities. Yeah. Um, you know, you also have to look at that. See, you know, a big city like New York, you can easily make that up within a year. But a small city, you know, like Pittsburgh, they may not be able to make up the money that they lost this season. So it definitely should be interesting with what the players say, what the owners say, and what, what really what salary cap they have next year. I agree with you 100%. It's definitely going to be left to be seen as the season hopefully gets started soon. The other big news is NASCAR will be returning this Sunday. There will be seven races in 11 days without that, so it should be interesting. Uh, Fonz, Kyle, and James, thank you very much for being on tonight, and uh, we look very much forward to next week where we plan to recap the AFC North draft. Uh, we will help Fonz analyze his divisional rivals. And there is a quick update. According to Ryan Dunleavy of the New York Post, a source very close to the Giants draft thinking told the Post, there is a battle in our building on whether or not we were going to take DeAndre Baker because the story was he had to have his ass kicked every day to work hard at Georgia and even go to practice. So, yeah, that's that sound. That sounds about right at this point. Thank yeah. you very much for sending that, Kyle. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely concerned about that moving forward. Uh, we're also going to have a little bit of sports trivia too, and we are going to talk some New York Knicks. I'm looking forward to it. We might have a guest caller in for that, but until then, uh, guys, thank you so much. And, uh, looks like we hit some pretty good numbers tonight. Uh, last week was great, but I'm hoping to, uh, keep these numbers up and looking forward to next week as we continue our sports talk on behalf of Kyle Russo, James Montefusco, Fonz DeFalco. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, wishing you all a good evening. You've been watching review and preview here on Facebook live. Good night, everyone. Take care.